So one of the things that we've complained about a lot uh, since we moved recording to Mondays is the MLS news cycle seems to begin on Tuesdays. Uh, for as long as uh, the four of us have been doing this, it seems like we record a great show on Monday. We record a show on Monday. And then on Tuesday, the big story of the week breaks. And uh, for once, boys, we, uh, we lucked out. And the biggest story of the week, FC Dallas pulling out, broke like 10 minutes before we started recording this podcast. So uh, we lined up a great guest. I'm really excited about it. But hey, for once, uh, the stars were in our favor. We may... We may be the first podcast that gets something out about this because as soon as this gets done, I'm going to download it. I'm going to get it out, you know, hopefully before like nine o'clock tonight. So we may actually be the first soccer podcast talking about this bullshit. So there you go. Live from a not COVID hotspot of St. Paul, Minnesota, we are the names you know. This is the day You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. Podcasting our, our mostly crap podcast. Um, how was your guys' weekends? How was your your Fourth of July? It was mostly crap. Crap, huh? I uh, I yeah, it was so fucking hot. I uh, I uh, you know, I bought that new camper and I was gonna go hook up the electricity and uh, we did not get it working. And so I thought, ah, it gets cool enough at night and uh, I'll be okay. And I'll just drink enough beer and I'll be cool all day. But heat, heat just killed me. I, I ended up with heat exhaustion dehydrated of course alcohol doesn't help that but uh ended up coming home on on sunday and just spending the last two days uh in bed with ice packs on and just drinking constantly so it was mostly crap this is i had uh, some plumbing issues and if it were not for my property manager pete uh i would not have had a good water pressure to wash a lot of dishes which i needed because i was making like a salad and egg noodles and some Swedish meatballs with some gravy and uh, I had a lot of dishes to wash. So I'm um, really thankful that, that uh, Pete was able to solve my plumbing problems. We, uh, we had my folks down to a socially distanced barbecue in the backyard. Uh, I made a play on a recipe I'd done before, a Cuban style pork mojo, uh, mojo pork, sorry, that absolutely killed it it was great uh my parents are still somewhat surprised every time i'm a capable cook because so far as they can tell i learned to cook entirely within the last two years which actually isn't that far off but i was the kid who like burned mac and cheese or like nearly set the kitchen on fire making rice so every time i can serve like a reasonably competent meal it feels like a victory for me uh, but that was a blast it was the first time that they'd been down to the house since christmas um so i had a great time with them had a uh, some of my wife's family over for uh, for the fourth, but God, Bill is right. Like this is not just a normal heat wave. I can deal with m heat most of the time, but like it's so bad in the house right now that uh, 
I'm thinking of setting up my office in the basement because it's it's too hot to work. <laughs> yeah, I I see. I thrive in the heat. I would much rather live like this year round than deal with the cold. I fucking hate the cold. It's it's the worst. Um, but we actually had some people over. I I I I I'm a I'm a fairly decent uh, cook myself. Um, years of working in a kitchen will 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 do that for you. Um, you got to learn how to how to actually cook. So made some uh, soy basted uh, chicken thighs, um, which were fucking amazing. Uh, with some sriracha, uh, some um, sriracha fried uh, cashews, which I I just made a bunch of extra ones. So I just have sriracha fried cashews to snack on um, all the time now, or for at least for this week or for the next day until I eat them all. Um, so yeah, so it was a good. Uh, we had, had some friends over socially distant friend hangout um friend of the podcast uh Nachiket was over here with uh, his girlfriend and a few of uh their friends her him and anna uh went to college together so they have a, a fairly large mutual friend group that lives in the city here so we see them they've actually seen each other in person since before this whole thing started so it was nice to actually like see people and, and interact with them uh people i don't you know normally see so um cool well uh you know, if you guys, if you're not already a member of the Patreon, um, please sign up. Um, Christian from Hot Clouds reached out to us actually after the podcast last week, and he's in the process of brewing, uh, brewing up a new beer. Um, I now I'm blanking on the name of it. I don't know, Phil, if you remember what it what it was, but it looks really good. Um, so sorry, Christian. We'll get it. Well, I'll make sure it's in the notes for uh, for next week. Um, and we're still trying to figure out, you know, when it makes sense to do some sort of a socially distant uh, beer handoff for our Patreon subscribers. But we're figuring something out. We're going to make sure we get that out. So if you want to be a part of that, um, patreon.com uh, slash, slash the days I know. It helps support the days that you know. You can also subscribe to the Substack newsletter. Um, that's uh, the days I know.substack.com. And then uh, we also have a new venture that uh, I want Dan to mention. So. Dan, why don't you let us know what our what our new venture is? Yeah, so uh, in celebration of MLS coming back and uh, the Daves and non-Daves that you know, uh, finally getting to talk about soccer again. Uh, if you can't remember our normal URL, you can just go to heathout.com. <laughs> we did it. We own it, guys. <laughs> Woohoo! We fucking own heathout.com. So if you have... Um, if you have ideas about what we should do with that website, please send them our way as well. Right now, it just redirects to uh, the, uh, the regular website. Uh, I'm not opposed to just having it be like that, but if you have any thoughts or ideas, hell, if you want to write about soccer, anything soccer-related, um, please reach out to me. Uh, you can slide into the, the Days I Know DMs at TDIKMN on Twitter. Um, if you have any thoughts, or if you have an idea for something you want, you'd like to write, um, way, way back in the day, Three and a half years ago, Martin and I <clears throat> sort of conceded this thing as, as sort of something like what 55.1 was. So like podcast, but also writing. And we actually did for almost for a good solid year. We actually put out content fairly regularly. Um, some of it satirical, uh, some of it um, very much all of it kind of kind of dickish, but also, you know, some of it actually was some stuff that actually made sense and statistical and things like that. Um, Luke Craig had some really amazing articles about uh, goats and soccer and uh, um, what's the, what's, uh, oh, Muammar Gaddafi's kid was a uh, professional soccer player. He wrote about that. Um, so there's some interesting, interesting stuff that was written there. Um, actually, Bridget McDowell of Switch the Pitch got her start uh, as a Dave Zeno writer. One of her, probably her, 
according to her, one of her like uh, most read articles is that thing about uh, the Columbus crew when we were trying to save the crew. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have a if you have a hank, uh, you know, an inkling, and you want to write, um, reach back out to us. I'm trying to do a little bit of writing on there. Um, you know, have a little more time now with all this COVID stuff, but not as nearly as much as you know we could we could put up there. We have a lot more capacity. So, um, all right. So with that, we're gonna jump into first thing we're gonna hear is like the actual probably the most informative conversation we've ever had in this podcast um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Zach Binney, who is a PhD. PhD, yes. PhD, Dr. Zach Binney, PhD. <laughs> yeah. Um, sending in pictures of my rashes uh, was not very, uh, not very well received. Um, he is a, 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 a epidemiologist um, and probably the, the guy at the forefront of uh, return to play protocols and, and, and stuff with, when it comes to in reference to like professional sports here in the United States. He's been all over the news um, uh, on The Athletic, a bunch of different websites. So we have a really great conversation with him. Um, get through that or, you know, get through that and then, then turn off the podcast. If you want to hear us rambling about other stuff, uh, we'll be back right after, right after that. So uh, without further ado, uh, Dr. Zach Binney. You want me to be that type of dude and I want you like me too, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Oh, yeah. All right, and welcome back. Uh, we have uh, a, an, we actually have an actual uh, doctor on the podcast. Um, so just regular bullshit that we just make up stuff. We actually have a, a guy who knows some of this stuff, uh, Dr. Zach Binney. Um, Zach, thanks for, thanks for joining us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, the first important thing to understand is uh, I'm not a real doctor. I'm not that kind of a doctor. I have a PhD in epidemiology, so none of this is medical advice. Uh, but I study sports, and specifically, I focus on sports injuries, but I work at the intersection of public health and sports. And what that means right now is COVID-19 and sports. So that's what I've been spending a lot of my time doing, trying to get good information out to the sports world and break down everything we're hearing about. And uh, that's why I'm here to talk with you guys today specifically on the mls front great so i shouldn't have i shouldn't have sent you all those pictures of the rash around my butthole that was that was probably not the right thing to do uh that was deeply unpleasant uh so <laughs> I know, yeah it feels, please, it feels please. really bad man i'm sitting on it right now <laughs> um you're not the first uh really really appreciate you uh you know dumpster diving onto this podcast i know i see your name all over the place when it comes to talking about um, COVID-19 and, and, you know, leagues and teams responses and stuff. So it's really, really great to have you here, man. I appreciate it. Well, against my better judgment, I've been friends with Dan for a number of years. So he's why I'm here. The rest of you, I, I couldn't care less about. But for Dan, whatever he needs. <laughs> it's amazing how college blackmail just never ages out of it. Being, uh, <laughs> being a viable source of, of leverage. True. Uh, pictures and videos are forever, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm deeply thankful that Zach and I were in college together really before smartphones were were popular. They were around. We, we were the first Facebook generation. But uh, yeah, boy, I can think of some parties that would have ruined some careers. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with obviously the, mo the, the biggest news. Um, literally about 30 minutes before we we're going to start recording this podcast. We're recording at five o'clock on Monday night. Uh, it was breaking news. Um, Paul Tenorio and, and Sam Stasek over at the athletic broke the news amongst other people that uh, FC Dallas is being, is being pulled out of the MLS is back uh, tournament, basically due to the fact that uh, they have a bunch of players out with uh, 
with the COVID. So, um, Zach, I mean, you're obviously seeing this news as well, like very, very, you know, as, well, pretty much the exact same time that we are. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any any immediate thoughts or any um, you know questions that pop to your head about like why this is happening? No, I mean, it seemed like the right call. Uh, they clearly had pretty widespread spread through the team. Uh, as far as I know, we haven't seen any more positives for the last couple of days, but uh, everybody who does have it needs to be, you know, completely isolated for uh, uh, 10 days if they weren't showing any symptoms or if they are showing symptoms uh, three days uh, after the end of symptoms, um, whichever period is longer. So minimum 10 days. So that would have knocked them out of uh, the first couple matches. I know they had already postponed uh, the first one. Uh, I don't know if we're going to hear more positive cases that came out uh, or if MLS just realized, uh, hey, there's pretty widespread spread and we could see cases you know, popping up on Dallas uh, over the next week or so. And they just, uh, they just didn't want to deal with, uh, with further disruptions. I totally understand that. But uh, when you get to that many cases, I, I think you definitely have to shut the team down until you can get a handle on everything. And if that means pulling out of the tournament, then that means pulling out of the tournament. So I think they did the right thing. So Dallas had four new positives announced today. Who knows when those results came in? So they're up to 10 cases on the team. Uh, and MLS's statement said total of 13 uh, with the remaining three coming from two teams. That said, uh, we're hearing now that Nashville, so Columbus has at least one. We know that they confirmed that. And it looks like Nashville is the source of the other. They may have as many as eight cases. And it now sounds like their first match with the Chicago Fire may get postponed as well. So I guess the follow-up question is, so Dallas pulled out, Nashville is clearly kind of limping along, and the bubble isn't quite as secure as we thought. So at what point do you just pull the plug on the whole thing? Is it a community spread issue? Is it simply a preponderance within the teams? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, so it is important to understand what happened here. And what happened here was basically a failure of uh, getting teams into the bubble safely. So both Dallas and Nashville, assuming the Nashville outbreak is confirmed, the timing works out that these were probably cases that were picked up shortly before these teams left their markets. And they just didn't rear their heads until they were in the bubble. And that is, in fact sort of a worst case scenario, uh, the most dangerous thing uh, that, that I was always afraid could happen. Getting teams into the bubble is the most delicate time because the disease can't stay hidden uh, for five days or longer. So I think the, there are some lessons, first of all, for MLS and the NBA uh, to take from this, as well as the NHL, which is that you should probably have an airlock to the bubble, meaning that teams like Dallas and Nashville really should have... Uh, sequestered themselves in a hotel in their local market for about five to seven days before traveling so that there's, uh, they're not picking up any more cases from their community, where especially Dallas, uh, there were a lot of cases uh, flying around there. Um, and then you hope that you don't get any positives. And as long as you give any positives that are incubating five to seven days to show themselves, I think you'd be reasonably safe to then move everyone into the bubble. But if you do have a positive during that airlock procedure, you've either got to restart the clock or uh, if everybody has been isolating independently in their own rooms or quarantining independently in their own rooms, then uh, you could just remove those positives and uh, argue that you could continue on with everybody else. But if there's been any close contact between any of those positives and the rest of the team, 
then uh, you have to restart that clock. So I think that's the lesson uh, to be taken from this and what seems to have happened here. It's just, uh, it's just really bad timing. So on the flip side of the bubble is what we've seen from Major League Baseball, which is everybody staying in their home markets um, or close enough to it. There's a few teams that have shuffled around a little bit. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that's a, a better strategy than the bubble? Or are we just going to see the same outbreaks, but it's going to be less concentrated and so it'll be less newsworthy? Well, uh, so first of all, I remember the second part of your previous question, which was, uh, when do you pull the plug on the bubble? And I, I think that is if we see a couple of cases uh, outside of Dallas and Nashville. So evidence of community spread to other teams within the bubble, then I think you got to throw your hands up and say, uh, okay, the whole bubble is contaminated and, and we've probably lost containment here and we got to pull the plug uh, on everything and, and send everybody home and, and have them quarantine, by the way, because you don't want them who are potentially infected going home to their families. So the MLB plan, the Achilles heel of the MLB plan is that they are having everybody live at home with their families and basically relying on the honor system for people not to do dumb stuff, like go to bars or something like that, where they are likely to pick up a case. And that's just a lot of people that you're asking to behave perfectly for a long period of time. I think what you're going to see is outbreaks on teams, especially uh, teams located in markets with rampant viral spread. So like right now, I would be worried about, you know, the Marlins, the Rays, the Astros, the Rangers, <clears throat> and the Diamondbacks, uh, as, as well as some others. So uh, I think you're going to see individual teams be forced to shut down. And I think that's going to wreak havoc on schedules. And I don't know how you think about competitive balance and everything with that. But, uh, you know, if you get two or three teams forced to shut down at the same time because they have clusters of cases, I don't know, how long can the season continue? I, I think you're going to see a lot more cases in MLB than you would in a bubble if you get the right entry procedure. The problem is we just haven't seen anybody get that entry procedure right. And in their defense, by the way, well, sort of to toot my own horn, but also in MLS's defense. I predicted almost this exact scenario in an email to an NBA reporter uh, back in mid-June, uh, where I suspected uh, that the Rockets could bring the virus uh, into Orlando, into the bubble, uh, basically in exactly the same way that Dallas did uh, here in the MLS bubble. But honestly, I didn't think that was very likely. And I thought of that airlock procedure as a nice to have thing rather than a must have. But you know, as scientists, we're, we're learning more every day about this virus. And now it's clear to me that the airlock is a must-have, not a nice-to-have. Yeah. How much uh, do you think, you know, how much pressure do you think uh, there is from the league, you know, to stay in or drop out, uh, you know, to the teams? You know, should, you know, one, two, three cases, you know, very low amounts. Um, especially once, once they're all there, you know, should we get a game in and, you know, say there's two cases, you know, what kind of pressure do you think these teams will see? Yeah, I'd be speculating about the pressure. I mean, obviously the league uh, probably wants to get the games off uh, for financial purposes and other purposes. I imagine the athletes and the teams want to play as well, oh, uh, many do, of yeah. them, uh, but you know, they're also concerned about their health and rightly so. And it, it's a, it's a really difficult line to walk right? It is. Yeah. So, you know, 
I don't think you should be concerned about one or two sporadic cases because epidemiologists love to think in counterfactuals, meaning I want to think about what would happen to these guys, uh, the players and staff, if MLS held the tournament versus if they didn't. Because if they didn't, you would still be seeing sporadic cases in this group just because of the sheer amount of virus we have in the U.S. right now. So if by doing the bubble, you can keep that number lower than what we would have otherwise seen, I think ethically speaking, that's okay. But you've also got to watch out for clusters, which is exactly what we're seeing now because clusters on teams, like three or four cases on a team, that indicates an outbreak and three or four cases have a nasty way of turning into 20 if you don't shut that down right away. So uh, that's where you, you have to be really careful and, and what I'm really watching out for. So speaking of counterfactuals, uh, one thing that MLS is dealing with that we haven't seen from literally any other league or, or high, high frequency testing organization is we're seeing cases flip back and forth from positive to negative, like almost arbitrarily. And this hits particularly close to home for our audience because it was announced that uh, Minnesota United had a case only about a day, two days later for it to be walked back and up. Tur- turns out, no. Um, what, what do you make of that? What is going on with, with the tests being so inconsistent? I have absolutely no idea because to my knowledge and based on every testing expert I've spoken to, false positives should not be a big issue with these diagnostic PCR tests. False negatives can occur 15 to 30% or even more of the time, especially if you're doing the difficult uh, nasal swab uh, collection procedure. So I don't know. It's perfectly normal for somebody to go from negative to positive in a couple day period because maybe you were incubating the virus, you didn't have enough copies to test positive, but then a couple days later you did. That makes sense. You could also go from positive to negative if you are at the tail end of the disease, right? And you're kind of clearing the virus out. That makes sense. But when you see a whole bunch of, like a group of tests flip, that's been a little bit weird. And we saw that with the NWSL's Orlando Pride, which I think is a different lab. So it's, it's hard to draw a line there. But, but yes, when, when you see tests flip, it's weird. And one thing that's important to understand, I think, is that the phrasing that MLS and teams are using is sometimes imprecise. So the lab that MLS is using is Bioreference Lab. They offer uh, four, actually five different results you can get from a PCR test. So let's talk about what each of those mean. There's positive. That's like an unadulterated, like positive. You had enough virus. You were well above the limit of detection for the test. You're positive. Then there's a presumptive positive, which they describe on their website as virus near uh, the lower limit of detection for the test. So they think you're positive but they're not totally sure and they recommend a retest. Then there's inconclusive, which is just what it sounds like, inconclusive, they recommend a retest. There's invalid, which can happen on occasion if the sample spoils or or something else happens. And then there's negative. So when we hear positive, is that positive? Is that presumptive positive or is it inconclusive? Because I know for two Vancouver tests, that delayed uh, their travel, those were inconclusives. But right now we're dealing with an issue with the uh, Colorado Rapids where they were presumptive positives that turned to clear, 
we don't have details on what that means. I assume that means negative, but I don't know. I, I don't know what the odds are of going from inconclusive to negative. Going from presumptive positive to negative seems weird to me, but again, I really don't know. And I think the other important thing to remember is that um, I would probably want three tests before uh, I'm confident uh, that a positive uh, was actually some sort of false positive, a positive or a presumptive positive, because false negatives with these tests, as far as we know, are more common uh, than false positives. So if you test positive, then negative, just based on probabilities, I'm betting that you're still positive. Mm. And I'd want two negative tests to tell me that that you're that that initial positive was the false one and not the second negative, right? Yeah, um, actually, that dovetails nicely to the. So I have kind of like two questions. So forgive me. I'm trying, I think they're they're kind of similarly related. Um, so I would love if you could talk us through a little bit about like how like that false negative and and how long like this can be in us before it becomes uh, something that mm -hmm. is testable. <clears throat> I'm sort of on that same note, and this kind of harkens back to what you said about sort of having that airlock procedure. You know, we have teams that haven't even left, or, you know, they're, they're getting there today to, uh, and I th still think there's three or four teams that aren't even in Orlando yet, <clears throat> going to be showing up for maybe five days before their first match. They're staying in their home areas because of either like Toronto, they just, they don't want to go down there because of all these tests that are coming up positive or they've had some, some sort of, some variation of the positive test, like Colorado, Vancouver. How, I mean, how much more likely are, is there to be, for one of those team, you know, one of those players on those seems to actually be positive, even if it's not the player that is currently presumptively positive or whatever, maybe there's someone else on the team that then is gonna, you know, once you start playing games right now, it seems like everybody has been mostly intra-squad, um, not a ton of crossover with players. Um, once you have someone who has that and then passes on to another team, then it's just a, it just seems like it's going to be a shit show at that point. So would you, can you, can you talk about those right. two things? <clears throat> yes. Okay. So let's talk about the timeline. You get exposed to the virus and you're infected. It takes you several days to replicate the virus uh, before you have enough of it to spread it to other people. How long exactly that takes varies from person to person. We're not exactly sure. Uh, we know that the, uh, the, like if you're infected, we think that the, uh, the probability that you test negative starts to drop precipitously right around three to five days. So I kind of think just being a little careful, I would wanna wait five to seven days. And if you don't test positive after seven days, that's not to say for sure that you won't develop it, but I think you, you've caught a majority of like a vast majority of the cases that will develop. It can take anywhere from three to 14 days to show symptoms, but you know, you'll probably test positive a little bit before that. So I'm kind of saying, you know, five to seven days uh, after a potential exposure, I think I would feel relatively safe, which is I think where MLS is getting that you have to be in the bubble for a week before you play a game. Because <clears throat> imagine if Dallas had come in uh, one day and played a game their next day before they discovered the vast majority of these cases, that would be, in your words, a shit show. That would pretty much shut it down for me. I mean, you'd have to quarantine both of those teams for two weeks. I mean, it would be, it would be a disaster. There would be a very real chance 
uh, for, for spread from one team to another. And, and once that happens, you know, in the bubble, I hear some reports, I talk to some people, teams are mostly trying, at least at this stage, to stick to themselves. But where you're going to have that crossover is in games. And then it's gotten from one network into another. And from there, it's, it's just going to balloon. So that's the, that's the scenario that you really want to avoid. And I would definitely be nervous about, uh, about a team that only recently came into the bubble, unless they had been airlocking for several days in their home market beforehand. Like, I'm fine if Toronto wants to lock themselves in a hotel in Toronto for six days and then come down to Orlando and hang out for two days and play a match. That, to me, seems fine. That's every bit as good as coming to Orlando and hanging out there for a week. But if players are at home or staff are at home, that's a totally different thing. And that is, that's what the Bundesliga did before their first games is actually they were in hotels. For, and actually, the FC Augsburg coach uh, was – kicked out for two games, you know, basically put on quarantine because he left uh, the hotel to get some toothpaste or toiletries or some shit. So, um, so that's actually, that actually makes a ton of sense. MJ, I think you, you have something. Zach, in this uh, metaphorical airlock that you're talking about, would, would ideally there be tests going in and then tests, a, a, a second test before they leave the airlock? Yes. In fact, you would have tests probably every other day to okay. catch cases as quickly as you can. Yes. You would definitely want to test before going in the airlock and definitely again, right before leaving with as fast turnaround as you can get. And then testing again, once they arrive in Orlando. And ideally everyone's in their own rooms. You're not playing cards. You're not playing board games. You're not playing uh, uh, Xbox or something like that in the same room. You're, you're over, over a network. You can stay in your own rooms and, and play as much uh, FIFA 2020 you want, as you want, but, that you're, you're completely isolated. I would say you can go one of two directions depending on your risk tolerance. If you do that, the major advantage, like the full isolation, the major advantage there is any positive test that comes up, you just yank that person out of the airlock and everybody else is good to go. Right. If you're not willing to do that, if your players or staff say, hey, actually this sucks, which it does, okay, and we don't want to do that, like we do at least want the opportunity to play card games, then the risk that you're taking on would be if anybody tests positive who's been in one of those card games, you got to restart the, the five or seven day clock from there when there's a positive test because you've had potential spread and you got to wait for the disease to rear its head among everybody else because you can't be guaranteed that it's isolated to that one person. So that could cost you the tournament. And so at the, at the very least, you're doubling your airlock time before you can get down to the bubble. Uh, if you have a positive, if you get lucky and nobody, uh, you know, if you roll the dice and everybody was negative going in and stays negative while they're in there for five days, then no blood, no foul, but no guarantee of that. Especially in areas with a lot of virus to begin with. Like I would be a lot more comfortable with New England trying that gambit than Dallas. Bruce Arena doesn't want anybody to have any fun, so don't worry about that too much. <laughs> can, you, um, can you expound on the, why New England's better? Than, is it because of Ma well, Massachusetts, I would, Massachusetts yeah. versus Texas? Yeah, basically that there are fewer cases in Massachusetts right now than there are in Texas. So the baseline chance of just one random person in Massachusetts, including somebody affiliated with uh, MLS – being sick is lower than it would be for somebody in Dallas. 
And so the baseline chance that somebody is going into that airlock with the disease is lower. So, so you would be somewhat more justified in rolling the dice on allowing intra-team contact in the hotel because you'd be less likely to have a positive. But still, if you had a positive, you'd suffer just the same fate as a team in Texas would. Thanks for flushing that out more. Yeah, no problem. Um, <clears throat> so we talk, you obviously talked a little bit about the different, um, you know, the other professional sports leagues. Um, is there, I mean, is there a particular reason why this is like why, and outside of the Orlando Pride, NWSL hasn't had any outbreaks? I mean, did they did they do more of the airlock when they got into uh, into into Utah? Or, I mean, do you have any any indication as to why like why they're being successful? Um, why every other pretty much every other you know Western European soccer league has been able to um, get back up and running without having any any issues whatsoever? Um, well, well, any, those are anything specific, right? So those are two different topics. So let's take the NWSL first. Um, I think partly they got lucky, uh, or they were on much better behavior before going into the bubble. That's pure speculation. I have no inside information, no reason to think that they were on average, you know, less likely to go out to bars or gather in dangerous locations than MLS players were. This is just pure speculation, but you know, that would explain why they didn't have any clusters, but uh, more to the point, they probably just got lucky. They didn't have any clusters at the wrong time. You either caught them before they went in like with Orlando or they didn't have them. Why isn't the Bundesliga or La Liga or Serie A or the EPL having this problem? Uh, well, mostly because they have their epidemics more under control. They have fewer cases per capita. So the less virus you have floating around your country, the easier it is to bring sports back, period, the end. Just because there's, again, it's a numbers game. There's a lower baseline risk of somebody in your league having COVID-19 and then your procedures having to deal with that. It is harder to bring sports back safely in the U.S. than basically any other country on earth at this point because of our late and poor response to the virus. Yeah, it would be a different story if we were watching Brazil bring soccer back. Are they playing in Brazil right now? No, not yet. No. Oh, really? I was going to say that wouldn't surprise they're, me if they were still. But they're throwing it around, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure they are. I mean, I don't know what more evidence you need than that the NHL, who has the vast majority of their teams in the U.S., picked up their puck and retreated to Canada, yeah. and smartly, I might add, smartly. I I don't know what more of an indictment you need of the U.S. response to the virus than the fact that <clears throat> that the NHL is only operating in Edmonton and Toronto. It pained them dearly not to be in Vegas. I'll tell you that. I mean, that was something <laughs> that the NHL definitely yeah. wanted. Vegas or L.A. And they just, it just, it would be insane if they tried to do that. It, one in Vegas and one in Toronto or something would be absolutely batch batch crazy. So why would you gamble on that? <laughs> right. What else are you going to do in Vegas? You got to gamble on something. It's true. <sighs> Zach, uh, when we talk about how this country compares to other countries in, in, in its response, it's I see this as a complex I issue where both existing uh, healthcare systems uh, and public health response and uh, public uh, and epidemiologically uh, the funding that goes into these resources <laughs> existed before the virus hit. In, in addition to uh, lawmaker and political 
uh, responses and in, 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 in guidelines, uh, things like how widespread is testing, contact tracing. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit more about kind of the things that you see that got us the U.S. to where, where they are now? Well, it begins with chronic underfunding of public health, which is which is a problem everywhere. Uh, and the U.S. is no exception because uh, it's it's hard to prove our business case. Our business case is the absence of anything shitty happening to you, and that's always harder to prove than being able to you know demonstrate something clear uh, that we are doing. And so you know we we tend to be state and local health departments in particular are chronically underfunded. If you look at salaries, there they're a joke. Um, and God bless everybody who uh, works at those health departments because they're busting their tails right now for peanuts. And, uh, and it's truly incredible, uh, the, the work that they're doing, given the resources that they have. But I mean, I think it all comes down to the fact that we had no national strategy. I mean, you can call it laziness, you can call it malice, you can call it incompetence. I don't know. I'm not in the room. Say what? Misinformation. Misinformation. You can you can call it whatever you want. You know, I'm not I'm not in the room, uh, so I don't know. It's pure speculation, but I do know that uh, that we don't have any sort of centralized response. We don't want to. You know, we made policy choices like pitting the economy against public health rather than just paying businesses to stay shut. While we, uh, which we did some of, but we're you know not necessarily planning to do later on and we gave up uh, a little bit earlier than we should have. We didn't have the testing that the experts said we needed in place. Some areas had the contact tracing infrastructure, but others didn't. And more to the point, we just didn't wait long enough until the virus got to a low enough level where we could keep it contained, right? Like testing, tracing, isolating, that whole plan will work to a degree, no matter what the level of the virus is, but it will work a lot better if you're starting from a low level. If you're still starting from a moderate to high level of cases, it doesn't take much to push you over the edge into being completely overwhelmed. And so I think that's, uh, that's part of what we've seen in this country, a lack of patience, a lack of a centralized response, a lack of funding. Uh, it's just, it's been a nightmare. You, you would be hard pressed to design a stupider response from the federal level than what we've seen. Other than the like the PPP and the CARES Act, that those were pretty much the only competent things. Well, should we even be doing this? Like, should we even be playing soccer right now? Hey, you know, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have said yes. You asked me two weeks ago, I would have said maybe. You ask me today, no. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, it, if you'd been able to get everybody safely into the bubble, theoretically this could work fine. I, th I think it has a workable plan. I think the NBA, especially if they institute any kind of airlock procedure, have a workable plan. But you've got to be on the lookout for cases, for clusters. You've got to be flexible. Uh, this disease has a way of surprising us. Um, and I think you've got to worry about a couple of other things. You've got to worry about if hospitals in your area get overwhelmed then what are you going to do with an injured player? You're going to send them into a hospital already overflowing with COVID-19 patients? I don't think so. I don't see how you can operate if that's the case. And then you've also got to worry about a lack of testing, especially in a market where you're playing. Um, the metaphor that I've used is, uh, you know, you, you've got to wake up every morning and, and look at yourself in the mirror and 
how long can you be that guy in the mansion on the hill looking down at the peasants? If you're trying to test all your people every other day and the rest of the city around you is struggling to get tested, mile-long lines, 15 to 25% positive rates, uh, having to wait a week or more for their test results. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not your fault, right? What they're experiencing is, is not your fault. You may have made the investments to bring new tests into the world. So you could argue that those are your tests. You know, you gave away some of them. You should be able to do with the rest of them what you want. But at some point, I think you have to look at the world around you. And if you see an all hands on deck situation, are you going to be on deck or not? Do you, do you think it's, it's your job to pitch in everything you can to help try and save society or, or not? You know, I don't know. I don't know when it gets to that point. It's going to be a different point for different people. But I, I definitely think it's something you have to think about and you have to confront. Yeah, back on the other other side of this, when the pandemic was just starting, didn't the Utah Jazz use something like six percent of all the available tests in Oklahoma? That is possible. I don't remember the exact stat. Uh, they did get them from some kind of private company. I, I don't actually think that was that crazy because you saw you you had a player on a sports team that participates indoors with close contact. Like if you were trying to test people who were probably positive, you could have done a lot worse than testing everybody on the Utah Jazz, to be honest with you. So I, I actually think it made some sense. I, I see that the optics were bad, but I actually think maybe people weren't thinking about it quite the right way. You were testing contacts of a known case. I think it was fine. It was a little weird that they got them that fast, but like if you had a limited number of tests, the Utah Jazz were a group that I would have prioritized them to. All right. Well, we don't want to take too, too much of, uh, more of your time. So we have, we have one, we have just one, uh, we have a couple of listener questions. One's a little more uh, serious. We'll, we'll ask you the, the less serious one uh, and then we'll get you out here, doc, uh, uh, Zach. Really appreciate it again. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. So sure. um, our good friend uh, at La Cribs um, asks, uh, where does COVID rank in your all-time favorite epipandemics and your all-time favorite virus? <laughs> so that's, that's the one to end on. <laughs> My, my all-time favorite viruses. Well, I don't know. Let's see. It doesn't have a particularly funny name. Uh, it's causing us all a lot of misery. It's kind of, it's in the middle of transmissibility. It's not measles, but it's, it's bad. Uh, they haven't made a movie about it yet. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I rate it very high. I'm actually uh, got a controversial opinion here. I kind of think it sucks. It's kind of weak. <laughs> so, what, it sucks. So, what is, so what is your all-time favorite virus? It's my all-time favorite. I don't think you can have a favorite virus. That's these, brutal. These are our listeners, man. This is uh, <laughs> these uh, are your listeners. Do you, do, you have, basis. do you have a favorite name of a virus that you thought, like, whether it was a goofy or apt, uh, a virus that you thought was well-named or? Well, I've just, I've just always loved cytomegalovirus. It's very fun to say. CMV, <laughs> cytomegalovirus. Try it out. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Zach, thanks for joining us. Hey, where can people follow you if they want to? If they want. Well, wait. Didn't you? Didn't you have a more serious question? Oh, you want to do the serious one? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so this is from Christian Fitchett. Um, with the passing of Nick Cordero, uh, seemingly a completely healthy young adult with no comorbidities, does that event provide any insight into the virus and how it's changing? We already knew it could kill you if you were young and seemingly healthy. Uh, you know. Maybe. 
41 or 40 or 40. Yep. 41. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I don't know that, that, that one case adds anything to me. We've seen people suffering from the virus uh, for a long period of time. We've seen deaths. Uh, You know, certainly there are underlying health conditions that increase your risk and certainly the risk goes up as you get older, but you're not immune to it. If you're young, it's definitely not a zero risk. And so I think it, I think it drives that home and I'm, I'm very sad for, for him and his wife and the rest of his family. And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be a wake up call for some folks. Cool. Um, yes. Sorry to end on that side note. No, Where can people follow you if they, if they want to learn more about the work you're doing or see whenever you're, you know, post or uh, quoted in articles, things like that. Yeah. You can follow me at uh, on Twitter at Z Binney. That's B I N N E Y underscore NFL I N J. Cause I focus on NFL injuries mostly, although for the foreseeable future COVID-19. <laughs> and uh, I also have a uh, personal blog, NFL injury analytics.com that I very occasionally post at. So if you want to look there, you can. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. And, and this is very informative and way more informative than our podcast normally are. So We'll get to some shenanigans after you get off the, off the pod, but um, really appreciate you uh, taking the time and helping us out, man. Appreciate it. Uh, sounds good. Absolutely. Take care. Stay safe, all of you. And uh, don't let me stand in the way of any more shenanigans. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Zach. You want me to be that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to, but we both And uh, we're back. Thanks again to uh, Dr. Binney for uh, um, all his uh, useful information. Um, obviously, it's, this is a continuing, continuing to develop story. Um, stuff has even dropped since we actually recorded that conversation with him a few minutes ago. So um, as stuff pops up, we'll probably throw it in, into, our, into our chat here. But we're going to start off. We're going to do uh, this part will be all of the non-MLS related news. We'll take another quick break and then we'll um, come back with all the MLS stuff. So let's start off. Uh, Non-MLS news with uh, K-League and MJ. So this past weekend, uh, Ulsan Hyundai, second place, uh, beat last place Incheon United 4-1. Uh, Xiangnam uh, lost at home nil to four to Pohang Steelers. And uh, Guangzhou FC 2, Daegu, up-and-coming Daegu 4. And uh, the big upset, Sangju Sangmu, the military academy, Beats tabletoppers Junbuk Hyundai one nil, in which uh, for Junbuk Lee Dong Guk, who scored four goals this year, missed a penalty kick, and then uh, Sangju Sangwu scored their penalty kick to go up one nil, and then in the ninety seventh minute uh, for Junbuk uh, Kang Sangwu, sorry, let me get this right, Kang Sangwu. Got an unnecessary red card. It's the 97th minute. What the fuck are you doing? Anyway, so the table has gotten tighter at the top. Uh, now Ulsan Hyundai in second place, only one point back uh, from Junbuk Hyundai. Sangju Sangmu, the team that will go down this year by their choice um, and be relegated, is in third. Daegu up and coming at four. Pohang Sealers five. And Busan Epoch. The other Hyundai team that was in 11th place, second to last, two weeks ago is now up at sixth, and we don't care about all the other teams. <laughs> which, which Hyundai team do I have? 
The Tabletoppers, Young Buck Hyundai. Okay. If you work at Hyundai, which team do you cheer for? Well, so uh, if you look at the... <laughs> I, don't really auto, wa- I don't really want to know. That's a joke. If you work at the auto place, <laughs> you want Junbuk. If you work at the heavy motors, you want Ulsan. If you work at the energy department, it's the Busan Epoch. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Do Fair enough. Uh, I asked a question. I expect an answer. <laughs> you, yes. God damn it, Bill. Um, all right. You so know better up, than to ask me questions that I know things about. You should <laughs> ask questions I don't know things about, Bill. The NWSL tournament uh, continued to go, and so we'll we'll, we'll pay through these games. If you, anybody has anything they want to say about the games, we'll just we'll sort of comment at the end. Um, so a couple or last week, uh, Houston Dash, Utah Royals, three uh, three. That was a hell of a game, by the way. Um, then there's a bunch of couple draws. Uh, OL Rain and uh, Sky Blue drew zero zero. Uh, Portland Thrones, Portland Thorns and Chicago Stars. Uh, Red Stars drew zero zero. The Courage beat the uh, Spirit two nothing. Um, Utah Royals beat the Sky Blue one nothing. Dash beat OL Rain two nothing. NC Courage one. Chicago Red Stars zero. Uh, Portland Thorns one. Washington Spirit one. Uh, that was uh, those games took place yesterday. Um, so the Courage are top of the table. They have uh, nine points out of uh, possible nine. Um, the uh, the rest of the table is pretty tight. Uh, Houston Dash, man, they've those those girls have scored a lot of goals. They look really good. Anybody have anything else they want to mention about the NWSL real quick? Oh, that that uh, Shea Shea Grooms, uh, her goal, yes, we the header. Yeah, that header she had was just and that that cross and the header in was just gorgeous. I uh, I think that I think, that's the best goal I've seen in the tournament. I think their first goal was more impressive. It was like five team passes with, I think it was Shea Groom with the no look back heel. Yeah. To, yeah. To Chrissy Mewis. Yes. Um, Sam Mewis' sister. I, I, I thought, I thought that was the prettiest goal, but I, I like team and passing goals over individual athleticism stuff. So, but yeah. As I predicted at the beginning of the tournament, Chicago has been amazingly good on defense, such a compact back line. Julie Ertz is an absolute destroyer. Um, and so careful in the box. Her tackling is amazingly precise. Alyssa Nair has been great, but God, they struggle so much getting forward. Watching that game uh, in the the morning game yesterday, and then the uh, the, the courage and spirit game yesterday last night. It was such a difference in terms of who was committing bodies forward into the attack. Uh, it's almost a shame. Lindsey Horan scored a gorgeous diving header, and then was completely undone by that, uh, the backheeled assist goal that Washington busted out like 15 minutes after that. The, the very uh, lobbish looping header that, that went right underneath the crossbar. Yeah. The problem, Dan, is, is they can do all that, but you got to get it done. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you got to, like, if the ball doesn't go in the back of the net, and this is like peak arsenal from the last five years, 78% possession and – you know, aggressive, good passing into zone. And it doesn't matter because the ball didn't hit the back of the net and the other team scores a slop goal and fucking Stoke wins yep. one nothing. Yep. And, I'm and not you're... bitter about this at all, by the way. No, I, I mean, it's not like you really have something on the line. <laughs> I, just, I always pick these teams. Dang it. I don't know what it is about hey, possession well, teams that well, can't score. You want to know the funniest thing about this is when I picked Washington Spirit, I thought, I'll pick Seattle. <laughs> boy, uh, boy, you so should have made a good switch at the last I, minute there. So, no, so I picked, so I picked Washington Spirit. 
Yeah. That's that's how much I knew about the league. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> man. Rose Lavelle and, and, and Hatch are, are combining really well for the spirit. Yes. Yeah. So, so. Uh, the spirit have <laughs> looked really damn good in this tournament, though. So it's, I think it's still definitely theirs, theirs to lose. But, man, the Dash have really, really impressed me, too. So we shall it's, see. It's courageous to lose. Come on. Yeah, I know. You're kidding yourself. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, other non-MLS uh, stuff. Uh, EPL um, is really, you know, really kicked back in. Um, in the Champions League, Europa League spots, um, Leicester sits in third with 58 points. Chelsea, 57 points. Man U, 55 points. And Wolves, who lost. The other three teams won this weekend. And the Wolves, who lost at 52 points. Um, that's sitting the third through six spots. Um, Seventh through tenth is Arsenal, who beat uh, the aforementioned Wolves uh, at 49. Spurs, who won today over uh, MJ's Everton at 48 points. Uh, Sheffield, 48 as well. Um, Spurs got them on goal differential. And then Burnley at 46. So it's pretty tight. Um, I think the Champions League spots are gonna, definitely going to come down between uh, Leicester, Chelsea, Manuel, Wolves. I think um, Arsenal, Spurs, Sheffield, and Burnley are, are really shooting for, uh, a, you know, potentially one, possibly uh, two. Uh, Europa League spots. So a um, couple of notable matches this week uh, coming up, and then I'll let you guys uh, chat about any of these. Arsenal plays Leicester City tomorrow. Um, Sheffield and Wolves play on Wednesday. Sheffield and Chelsea play on Saturday the 11th, and then the North London Derby uh, is on Sunday. Uh, that's it's in uh, at Tottenham Stadium, I think, Dan, right? Uh, honestly, I don't remember because I don't think it matters. Yeah, I think so. Um, anyways, is there anything uh, Champions League yes. or Europa League top of the table stuff you guys want to discuss with the EPL? Huge week for Arsenal. Um, the mm-hmm. the results that they've gotten uh, are good. They're almost mm-hmm. secondary to how good they looked in those games. They played really well against Wolves. Uh, but even more than that, they got uh, – Wiyaka Saka and Gabriel Martinelli signed to long-term deals. Those are both uh, two, I think, 18 and 19, respectively. Uh, really stellar young players. And there were a couple of teams sniffing around. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, for example, had praised Martinelli's ability on the ball. Uh, and there were a number of teams looking at Saka. So getting those two guys locked down in a week where Arsenal pulled six points and uh, – the, the praise for Mikel Arteta coming from the players in terms of his preparation is exactly what Arsenal fans were hoping for. It really seems like towards the end of Emery's tenure, he had lost the trust of the players. And in less time than Emery had, Arteta has it. He's so cerebral. Um, I really, really think this is the start of a, a good thing for Arsenal. I don't know how this, this season finishes, you know, for example, but I'm, I'm really encouraged. Um, Going into a match against Leicester, who hasn't quite been as good as they were uh, prior to the restart, since the restart. Um, and then the, the North London Derby. Look, if Arsenal gets six points this week, I think they have a really, really sh- good shot at a Europa League place. But more than anything, I'm just glad that the team looks like it's supposed to look. They are in control of matches. Honestly, uh, this was the first time Arsenal had gone away to a team ahead of them on the table and beaten them in something like six years, seven years, maybe. So the team's trending in the right direction. I'm not, I've been an Arsenal fan long enough to, uh, to firmly believe in the hope I have in my heart and be completely ready for us to get like six, nothing to Leicester and then to lose one nil on a 97th minute own goal to Tottenham. So, but uh, 
God, if it doesn't happen, guys, if it doesn't happen, how great is that? Yeah. Yeah. It will be. A, I'm looking forward to that match, the, the Leicester City match. Uh, Brendan Rodgers has had our number for a long time. Yeah. He, he can get Arsenal, but he's never gotten Mikel Arteta before. So, yep. So yeah, um, well, right, right, right now you're sitting in that in that sort of last uh, Europa League spot. It could go down, all the way down to eight places if. Uh, and the, yeah, speaking of the Man City, the Man City appeal should be coming down sometime in July here. So we'll have want to talk about yeah. that when that happens. Um, MJ, is there anything you wanted to say about Everton other than uh, that crap performance they put in today against uh, Spurs? Hey, speaking of Leicester City and, and their struggles, Everton beat Leicester City two one on Wednesday. Looks good doing it. And, yeah. and, and you know, third place, they look good despite. <laughs> Mason Holgate and Michael Keane failing to score an own goal on Pickford. Um, they both had <laughs> appearances that kind of went off defenders and then off themselves and kind of towards the net in some way. Uh, and then today they lose um, to Spurs in the Spursiest way it's possible with, again, uh, Michael Keane scoring an own goal on, on, on Pickford. So uh, their center backs, uh, they have no depth there. Um, that was my biggest concern going into this whole mess. And that's all I have to say about Everton is uh, lack of center back death and center back uh, depth. Lack means center back death um, by, by own goals. So. Yeah. <clears throat> um, on the other side of the table, the relegation battle um, currently in 20th place is Norwich city with 21, uh, 19th through 17th. So two of these teams are going to go down uh, Bournemouth with 27 points, Villa with 27 points, and then Watford in the 17th place at 28 points. Uh, West Ham is still, um, in spite of a win, um, beating Chelsea on the weekend, uh, still firmly in that relegation battle at 31 points. Um, West London Derby. Yeah. Um, I will say, so Norwich City, everybody says, oh, they're going down, they're going down. Norwich City still plays, uh, they play uh, this week, actually. They play two very uh, particularly big matches. Watford away uh, on uh, tomorrow, the 7th, and then uh, West Ham at, uh, at home on Saturday. Um, if they win both those matches, um, the rest of the of the bottom of the table has been complete and utter shit. There's not been one team that has played well. I think West Ham winning or beating Chelsea was the first time that someone in the bottom half of the table or that bottom sort of like third of the table had won a match uh, uh, all since the restart. So they're all really crap. Um, Norwich can get hot. They still play. I believe they still play. They play either one more of the, either Bournemouth or Villa um, this year. So they still have a. a they still have a fighter's chance, to put it that way, um, in spite of being, you know, six points uh, or seven points clear of, of safety. Um, you can't really count them out. If they, now, if they lose, if they don't get three points against either Watford or West Ham, I think you definitely we can say Norwich City is going down uh, for sure. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. So anything about the relegation battle you guys are interested in? There's two, except those two Norwich games are really the only ones between uh, relegation six-pointers. So... It's frustrating to look at these teams uh, and, and see them going down. Every one of these teams has had really big victories this season. They've played super well for stretches, and the results just haven't come. This is whoever gets relegated of these four, and I'm willing to declare West Ham pretty well safe at this point. Uh, this is probably the most talented relegation set we've ever seen in the EPL. Uh, and I, I feel badly for them on, on that. Um, I'll tell you what, though. You know, with so many teams in the 7 to 10 range looking for a cheap way to improve, players like Todd Cantwell, Tim, Thibaut Pukki off of Norwich, Jack Grealish off of Aston Villa, uh, 
there's going to be some serious competition for those players. Uh, I don't necessarily see a quick rebound for these teams uh, if they sell those guys. Um, honestly, I watched the Bournemouth game over the weekend. They, as, as much as Norwich has a, uh, a six-point lead in terms of the relegation, uh, Bournemouth definitely looked the worst of the set. They, that is a team that has resigned themselves to their fate. And they have the hardest schedule coming up. So apologies to Jeff Reuter, friend of the pod. Uh, AFC Bournemouth is about to become a championship squad. He's not a, he's not a friend of mine, though. So he's three, <laughs> maybe a three-quarter friend of the pod. Three-quarter of the pod. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, Villa, um, Villa put up a, a hell of a fight for 70 minutes against Liverpool yesterday and then uh, proceeded to capitulate two, two goals pretty damn quickly. So, um, yeah. Want to talk about the other Liverpool game? What's that? You want to talk about the other Liverpool game? Nope. That game didn't happen as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I can't believe you didn't make a family bet that you would now owe Anna. Oh, yeah. No, no. Trust me. She, she, she doesn't do that anymore because uh, um, Liverpool normally beats City in those games. Um, actually, they have a very good record against Man City in the time that we've been, that we've been together. Um, I think we've only lost twice in league play. I think I think once once in a, in a, a Carabao Cup final a couple of years ago. But anyways, I'm sure she'll fact check. I, me when she I, I didn't hear about the game this week. What was the score? Yeah, it didn't happen. So let's move on to the Bundesliga. Um, let's did they, did they, four they, nothing. Who won? Who won? City won four nothing. Liverpool <laughs> looked like Really? Shit. They let's lost to the City four to nothing? The Austrian Bundesliga. I can mute you guys if you want me to. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Austrian Bundesliga. Uh, Jesse Marsh was named coach of the year. Um, Man, that guy is, is young and going places, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in his, his, his next step. I think um, – I know he, there's been rumors about Dortmund for him. I'm not sure if that is necessarily the step that he wants to take. Um, I definitely could see him coaching in the EPL at some point. But, uh, yeah, what a – you know, coach of the year on two different continents. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. And then uh, the other big news, uh, today was the uh, – so Bundesliga has a really, a really fun system that um, – the bottom three teams aren't automatically relegated. The the uh, third from the bottom team plays the third place team from the league below. In this case, uh, Zwei Bundesliga. Um, and the winner of a two legged playoff between those two teams goes up, stays either goes up or stays in the in the Bundesliga, and then the other team, the loser, goes down. Uh, so Werder Bremen and and uh, um, Heidenheim played last week uh, on the first, I believe. Uh, and it was a, in in uh, Werder, um, and, uh, and it was a zero zero draw. Um, and then they played this afternoon, and Werder went to uh, Heidenheim and uh, beat them two to one. So they they won the uh, they won the match one to two on aggregate. Um, Bill, want you do you want to tell us a little bit about this game? Quite quite possibly the the, the slowest, most uh, boring games I've ever seen. Um, you know, they it's a great idea. Um, but the, uh, the, the league one, the, the top Bundesliga usually always wins it. Um, but this time, uh, the zero, zero, and then the first goal in the second leg was an own goal. Um, it was a took, goal though. what it was, he shot that really well into his own net. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Francisco, Francisco Kelva. Kelvo couldn't have done a better job. It was very much a, uh, he, he roofed it into his own net. Yeah. Um, but man, I I thought I was asleep, but I guess I wasn't. No, 
and uh, it, it was painful. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 my thought was, you know, it was the battle of who will be relegated next year. Yeah. Yeah. It was not like last year where Union Berlin um, had an amazing, amazing two legs and, and, and won their, uh, won their promotion. So, yeah, it was. I, I mean, Heidenheim, I mean, to be fair, Heidenheim, like, you know, basically backdoored into this playoff match too. I mean, they were trying to shit the bed down at the yeah. bottom. And Werder, for their, to their credit, scored six goals against Cologne at the end of the year to, yes. uh, to you know, to give them this opportunity. So um, where was that team today? Yeah. Yeah. Long-term, this is good for the U.S. because Josh Sargent will probably stay with Werder, get the experience of being in the Bundesliga. Long-term, this is, this is good for him. The, the other big Bundesliga event, this, which was uh, this weekend, was the, uh, the, uh, the cup final. Yeah, was on, was on the, yeah, it was on the 4th of July. And uh, another thing that, you know, basically anyone could miss because uh, Bayern Munich won it again over yeah. Leverkusen, and that was 4-2. to two. Did Chris Richards play at all? I, I don't know because I, 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 I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching uh, – yeah, I, was, I watched the uh, – I don't know what I was doing. I was at, I was at the Blackheart watching a game, and it's kicked off, and I was like, oh, I had to go grocery shopping. And I was like, yeah, yeah I don't really care too much about this to, to stick around and watch any of this match. So, all right. Um, anything else on Bundesliga? No, but uh, that match, though – yeah. Lewandowski had a hat trick. Of course he did. Yeah. He might be the best striker on the planet right now. So yeah. Um, so in uh, in uh, calf news, the Afra, you know, African uh, uh, Cup of Nations, uh, they post. So that tournament was you know was being played in the summer. Had been moved to summertime. Then for this 2021 version, they decided to move it back to typically a tournament that had been played in January. They got a um, the African uh, the Confederation. Uh, CAF got a lot of pushback because of, you know, so many African footballers are now playing in Europe, um, playing and, you know, basically their, you know, teams are, you know, letting their players go back to Africa to play in this turn- national tournament, which is great, but really disrupts a lot of um, European season. So the European, I think Europe put a little pressure on them. They moved the tournament to the summer for one, one go around. This is like a, this is like kind of like a, the gold cup for, uh, for CAF, if you're not familiar with, with AFCON. It's, it's a really great tournament, actually. There's been some really, yeah. really amazing games have been played. Algeria is really good. Uh, um, obviously, Ga- uh, Ghana and Egypt with Mo Salah. <clears throat> um, Cote d'Ivoire is usually good. Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. Is, and so, yeah, so it was actually moved back to the, the winter again for the 2021 version. And it's been postponed. Um, like, must, much, much of uh, soccer is being kind of this, the schedule is being moved around the uh, national schedule. <clears throat> or international schedule, excuse me. So they postponed it to 2022. So that's good for any uh, teams that have, um, for example, Madagascar uh, with Minnesota United, you know, we have would normally affect us because it's, you know, if it's in January, it doesn't have to worry about um, MLS, but, you know, um, uh, Romain Metinier might have, might miss, you know, the beginning of training camp uh, if this tournament had been taking place in January of 2021. So um, that has been pushed back to 2022. So they'll have to deal with it then. Um, finally, or one other thing before we jump to some uh, local uh, local news, UEFA has committed to Lisbon for the Champions League final um, in spite of a recent COVID spike. So, we've probably heard that before. Um, 
That is going to take place after. So there's going to be a round of finishing up the round of uh, 16. Um, there are some second legs that still need to be played, including Manchester City uh, and Real Madrid. And then Chelsea, Bayern, I believe, still needs to be played. That one's pretty much done and dusted for Bayern. Um, there's a couple other that, that need to be played. And then once that is done, um, they're going to try and play at the tournament over about a two-week period um, towards the middle of August. So, um, Just for reference on the COVID spike, uh, it is true that it is sort of spiking in Portugal. Portugal had 232 new cases today, so that's about half of what Minnesota had. So yeah. it's higher than they were, but keeping things in perspective, they're still doing really damn good compared to literally every U.S. state. Way to go, Portugal. <laughs> Viva Portugal, except screw you, Jose Mourinho. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll take a quick break, and then uh, we'll come back. Oh, actually, you know what? We're not going to take a quick break. MJ is back. We're going to talk Minneapolis City news very quickly. Um, MJ, tell us what's happened with Minneapolis City. So they decided to launch uh, Minneapolis City Futures. It. What, this is part of a... Uh, almost two year long process of something that was approved by the members about 20 months ago. Uh, they wanted to not just, uh, just jump in, you know, head first, but actually plan and look at the structure and how they were going to enact this plan. And so they've been very careful about building from the ground up like they've done with a lot of things. Uh, it's a U20. So not a youth team but designed to basically fill a gap between youth soccer and whether that's whatever you're doing uh, at, as an adult soccer. So in between youth soccer and adult soccer, whether you want to be doing college, whether your hopes are to go pro, um, Minneapolis uh, City Futures is designed to fill that gap. Um, you can find more about it to follow on Twitter at MPLS City Futures. Now they just need to get on having a uh, team bourbon <laughs> and they, they would be a serious contender. Yeah. This is, this is also interesting news in light of, we talked about last week with Minnesota United um, ditching their academy not really having any plans for uh, an MLS two team. So we'll see what happens. And, and this is really great news. I'm, I'm excited. I, someone who voted for this a couple yep. years ago as a Minneapolis city season ticket holder, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can actually put together. Me too. All right. Well, now we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about all things MLS is back. Because, um, yeah, there's a lot of fucking things. So um, we'll be back after uh, after the brief. You want me to be that type of dude. And I want to be who you like me to. But we both. All right, uh, welcome back. We are going to wrap up today with uh, some MOS talk. Obviously, you heard the first segment of the podcast. We talked a little bit about um, the breaking news before literally 20 minutes before we started recording um, that FC Dallas has been uh, removed from the tournament. Um, there's been some funny or some stuff that's come out since then um, with, uh, with regards to FC Dallas. And they were basically... Um, uh, there's there was a proposal, I believe, by the league to bring up some teams or some players from the, their uh, USL affiliate, North Texas. 
um, that uh, the MLSPA basically said, hell no, you're not bringing up uh, players that haven't been here um, as part of to play in, in this game. Um, and I, they just they just put out a statement. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez did. I haven't got a chance to read it yet. But uh, what are your guys' immediate thoughts on uh, you know hearing that FC Dallas is no longer in the tournament? Yeah, I think it's sad for the tournament, but I think it's the right thing to do. Um, it uh, you know, I, it's it's exactly what we thought would happen. I mean, it's uh, it's I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Bill doesn't want to toot his own horn, but he's been saying that this tournament has, isn't going to happen um, basically since they announced it. So, Bill, your uh, your premonition might be coming might be coming true. Yeah, I mean, I don't want that to happen. I really don't. Oh, no, no, no. But, That's not what I was implying. But you have been no. you've been you've been sort of the the soothsayer when it comes to comes to this, and and the more yeah. realist of, of us all, I think. Yeah, so. I mean, I have been standing outside with the sign that says the end is nigh, but you know. <laughs> been doing that since what 93 <laughs> I mean, since the league started yeah. <laughs> i mean just last week we all went around and we're all kind of like yeah you know one maybe two teams drops out and and bill bills are like no it's all gonna get canceled so. i uh i don't remotely blame the pa for squashing the uh, just call some up uh some usl players uh that's completely unsurprising and, and totally appropriate, in my opinion. Um, I thought their statement on that this whole situation was really good, which is, hey, this tournament is super dangerous no matter what protocols are in place. And we feel badly for FC Dallas, uh, but we appreciate that they're stepping aside because that's what needs to happen for the rest of us to have a safe tournament. And yeah, that I, I think that's the – of the statements that have come out from FC Dallas, from MLS, and the Players Union, I think the union is probably the closest to reality that this, this tournament is dangerous. Um, we don't have a great sense of how dangerous, but Dallas is gone. I don't – Nashville has eight cases, I believe. Um, and that's up from what it was even yesterday when I was trying to compile like, how many MLS players have or have had COVID spreadsheet. Um, I don't know that Nashville stays in, and, and we'll get into this in a second, but they're the easiest team to move to make the groups make sense. But what happens if they're not allowed to go? Um, we're, we are at the precipice of, uh, of shit getting very, very weird over the next 24 hours, I guess. Yeah. Um, I also say, uh, so I, I apologize from through the beginning of the segment. Um, I was actually wrong. I, when I said The Athletic broke the news, it was actually a, a Univision reporter, Nico Contour, broke the news. He's inside the, uh, in the MLS bubble. So he was the first person with the news. I just I saw it first with from Tenorio uh, uh, and, and Stasco with the Athletic. So just want to make sure we we properly credit uh, was the, the person who broke the news. So um, you have ten jobs, David. You have ten jobs. I know uh, all these jobs. Um, so yeah, so that is actually that sort of kind of um, brings me to my next question is, is sort of what happens now. And this is all obviously speculation. The speculation was Nashville makes a ton of sense to slide in. It doesn't work as well with um, MJ's, you know, with, with you know, as, as you mentioned a couple weeks ago, like trying to keep the, you know, matches as, as close to possible, as close to one another as possible. Um, but, you know, Nashville is a Western Conference team. Um, it would make more sense just for them just to slide over and play in a Western Conference group. But as, yeah, as Dan just alluded to, they have for sure one confirmed case, and it sounds like a hell of a lot more that are going to be popping up really soon. And they may be the next team out of the tournament. Um, 
because they, you know, are unable to field a team um, or field a team adequately. So, so yeah, I guess my, my question is to you, and we'll get to, we'll actually get to a little bit of, of some, you know, prognostication and things like that with the assumption that the tournament is moving forward um, as is, or, or in some, some way, shape or form. But I think I'm pretty confident in all of us in, in saying that all of us here at, at, at this podcast, the Days of No podcast believe this tournament should not happen period. Like they should, everybody should be on their charter jets home tomorrow oh, to yeah. make sure like that people stay as safe as possible. Right. My, yeah. yeah. Is that an over, is that a, am I assuming too much there? You know, I'm going to echo something that Zach said, which is that a month ago, this didn't seem like such a terrible idea. And two weeks ago, even maybe it was a little dodgy, but it seemed like they could go forward. And yeah, and that matches exactly with what I thought, what I, what I think now, which is we can't, do this. Uh, so Sean Doolittle, who's a relief pitcher for the uh, world champion Washington Nationals, an all-time great guy uh, and a great follow on Twitter, dropped a quote yesterday that sports are the reward for a functioning society. And since MLS put this tournament in place, and at the time we can we can say, you know, did they do it right? Were they as careful as they could be? Should they have done Zach's airlock thing? Whatever. So much has changed in that period that we've gone from, yes, MLS is back. This is great. They've just got to be really careful to, are we going to see a player hospitalized? Is this the first league where someone dies? Like these, the fact that we are asking these questions is so indicative of the fact that good God, this should not be happening. You really, you really think a lot's changed? It, it, I mean, it seems like our country has done horrible since the, you know, the start, you know, I do think something has changed. I mean, if you look at the, the sort of viral reservoir graph, uh, it was trending down. It was, you know, maybe not as fast as it should have been, certainly not as steep a curve as we saw with Spain or Italy. But when things were trending in the right direction when these announcements were made, and then all of a sudden things have just absolutely skyrocketed. I mean, what was it Arizona had more new cases today than the entirety of Europe? Like, that that wasn't true two weeks or a month ago. I think it's oh, gotten no. worse. Yeah. Also, to piggyback on something that Zach Minnie said, your your baseline community affects the health of the tournament. So, you know, if you're coming from a state or a city where there hasn't been a lot of cases, just the way the virus spreads the chances of you or your teammates having that is a lot less. You go to a place like Florida that has a huge, you know, they're growing, their, their cases aren't grow, just growing. I think the rate of their increases of cases are growing. I haven't done the calculus recently, but, you know, I, you, the, going to that baseline and then kind of assuming that everyone's going to be disciplined uh, without having other sorts of, uh, precautions or security in place it seems really reckless yeah there there was an article in espn over the weekend about how they believe they're they're effectively getting about 90 percent of the incoming and going in and out staff of uh like food service people and uh and drivers and people like that and uh you know that that's that's where it's going to happen um it's not a player sneaking out. I think the teams really have a good handle on those sorts of things, but you know, 
it's it's going to come from a you know food prep or somebody like that i mean you know we're also seeing too and this is kind of goes to our next sort of bullet point here is that we still have teams that are not in the bubble mm-hmm. um uh for sure toronto seattle and colorado colorado who's in minnesota's group group d um are not yet in the uh <clears throat> in, in orlando um and again referring back to something that uh zach said earlier um that there's just there's this um phase of time from when your last test to you know when you are you know you might actually show whether symptoms or you know actually show the the virus in your in your system whether you're asymptomatic or not um and that you need seven days of sort of pretty much strict lockdown in order to make sure that you're not going to be potentially um infecting another person or another uh, another team or uh, a staff member or something like that so you know, we, we are now faced with this thing. And Taylor Twelman uh, came out um, earlier today, this evening on ESPN and basically said, uh, you know, alluded to the fact that what that anything that's not there within seven days of their first game should not be allowed to play. And then he sort of walked that back on Twitter, right, Bill? That's- yeah. And, and when he, he walked it back and said, well, I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves here. Yeah. But, so, you know, his tea leaves, though, you know, he might be right because all of those teams come from, you know, legal marijuana states and provinces. And so maybe <laughs> we should rule them out. Yeah. I mean, if he's if, if that's if he's right, that 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 kicks out Toronto, Seattle and Colorado, because Colorado's yeah. first game is against RSL on the 12th. Seattle yep. played San Jose on the 10th and Toronto is supposed to play DC United on, on the 10th as well. So, yes, um, it is worth noting. Speaking of Colorado, though. They were planning to leave later in the week, but in fact, MLS asked them to move up their departure date to today. So they are in the bubble now. The two mm. positive cases occurred when they were still in Colorado, but they are now in the bubble. They are now in the bubble. Okay. So, so there are still. I mean, we don't know how many teams specifically. Um, I'm sure if we, you know, spent uh, five minutes doing the actual research, we would figure that out. But that is not the podcast that you came to listen to. You came for rampant, rampant speculation and fake news and, and throwing shit out there. So, um, well, and, like, I'll, I'll jump on top of that. Like I, I compiled all of this yesterday and a huge problem we're having right now. And we, we talked about this with Zach is that presumed positives, confirmed positives that become negatives. Like if we're talking about MLS or anything in Europe, sorry, not MLS, talking about MLB or anything in Europe, there's, there's some certainty around it with MLS. It feels like, everybody is reading tea leaves you know there was a there was a time where minnesota united had a positive and now they don't and columbus had two positives but then it only turned out to be one so there's you know like this is an incredibly ambiguous situation that somehow mls has made even more ambiguous and that's incredibly frustrating so if we all spent half an hour on google i think we would honest to god come up with four different results with who has had cases in the bubble who has had cases outside the bubble who has had cases at home, and who doesn't have any cases at all. And, and who's trying to weaponize it? <laughs> no, we all agree that that's RFL, FC Cincinnati, man. because that's their, o- their only hope for winning the title this year. Is <laughs> that's everyone my else getting COVID. for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, um, I, would say, I, would, you know, I would say RSL, because that's the only way they're going to win a, win a MLS. Yeah, exactly. So, the big the um, news that I take away from all this is we all need to uh, read, read more weed leads. No. Yes. No. We need more weed, period. Yeah, more, more, um, <laughs> less tea leaves, more weed leaves. Yeah. So let's talk about some other quick MLS news, uh, and then we can jump into very briefly talking about these Western Conference groups 
Um, and then we'll actually get into uh, uh, Minnesota's actual match against a technically a, a team in, in Orlando in less than a week. So uh, technically right now we're supposed to be in an MLS transfer window, which we have a rejection about. Um, so there's that. I'm guessing not a lot of teams are going to want to like trade players um, now that we've been, we're in the middle of a potentially a crisis at uh, in Orlando. So, so yeah. So that's one thing. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the second window is going to open up the day after the uh, MLS is back tournament is theoretically done, which would be that final will take place August 11th. The second window will open August 12th. That is t- technically the window where we uh, signed like Darwin Quintero and Angela Rodriguez last year. So that second MLS window, this is this window that's we're in is sort of a, be a very brief window, which again, won't really affect this tournament because anybody signed in this window, I don't believe. I think people who signed this window can be no. added as long as they're not Tam. Or they uh, oh yeah, 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 you're right. As long as they're not Tam. So the yeah. two players who have moved, uh, Jurgen Dom to LA, uh, not LA, sorry, Atlanta United. Uh, same number of letters, just different yeah. arrangement. And, 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 and uh, uh, Leandro yeah. Gonzalez-Pires to Miami are both ineligible because they're TAM signings. But yep. you're right. Yeah, if, they, if, if somebody random were to sign, they would be eligible. Yep. Uh, and then the other sort of signing news, uh, Austin FC announced their first signing today, 20-year-old uh, Paraguayan forward Rodney Redis. Reeds? Probably Redis. Um, <clears throat> $2.75 million transfer fee. Uh Claudio Reyna said he's most likely going to take up the young DP spot for Austin FC, which Austin FC is supposed to be joining MLS next year in 2021. So if we even have a season, so who the hell knows? Here's a real question. Could we get enough Austin FC players such that if multiple MLS teams had to pull out, could we just move Austin in a year early? Why not? Let's fucking do it. (laughs) Um, Um, All right. Then the last... uh, Defender from Rangers that that uh, is joining New England. I missed I that one. That came last week. Matt Matt Polster, um, for, yeah, for three hundred thousand uh, pounds is le- leaving the uh, Rangers in Scotland and uh, coming to New England. Well, that's a that's got to be a Tam signing, so he's probably not eligible. <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I. I didn't read one way or the other, so yeah. you're probably right. So here's the question coming off that one. He's going from Steven Gerrard as his coach to Bruce Arena. Who would you guys rather have? Stevie G in a heartbeat, man. Seriously? He hasn't he hasn't won anything. Bruce Arena's a proven <laughs> winner. I mean, that's fair. But Bruce Arena looks like a – I mean, Bruce Arena looks like and is a dickhead. Stevie G is not a dickhead. I think Miami, no. Miami signed someone. Um they signed uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez. He used yep. to play for Atlanta. Yep. Yeah, they got him from where? Uh, some some team in Mexico. Yeah. We ju- Tijuana, we maybe? We Tijuana. Literally just, we literally just talked about that, Bill. <laughs> Good God, I'm sitting here reading. <laughs> I can't do two things at once. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, all right, so let's last uh, non let's non uh, MLS is back tournament thing. Jake, Jake Gleason. Um, Portland goalkeeper uh, filed a lawsuit, a malpractice lawsuit against uh, Portland, the Portland Timbers medical team, um, seeking over ten million dollars in uh, economic and non-economic damages. Um, basically, 
Dan, you probably have a little bit more information on this, but basically saying like he was misdiagnosed and you know that therefore was unable to play. Um, can you can you fill us in a little bit more on the details, possibly? Or yeah, for sure. So after uh, after a season, Gleason was complaining of shin pain, uh, and uh, went to the the Portland Timbers staff and said, you know, "I'm having this this issue." Um, you know, what treatment should I seek? And the, the team docs recommended that he get plates put in both shins. Uh, he then uh, had the surgery for that. Uh, long story short, got several infections. The plates needed to come out, which resulted in even more extensive infection. He had necrosis of the bone. Once you get the surgical infection, uh, it's... <laughs> your best case scenario is really bad. And, and his case was really bad. So the $10 million figure comes from basically he lost his entire career uh, and then additional pain and suffering on top of that. So it's a, it's a medical malpractice suit. Um, these things are super hard to win. They're incredibly difficult to win. The Vikings actually, Minnesota Vikings had one of these a year or two ago. Um, and more often than not, uh, the team will reach out and settle just so they don't get dragged through court. But I don't believe that Gleason named the Timbers as defendants. So this very well could go to trial. Uh, his two accusations that will be the, the factual basis for the case are that the surgical facility in which he was treated had an ongoing viral outbreak that he was not told about, one. And then two was that the, the course of treatment was overly aggressive and took unnecessary risks. Um, I have some familiarity with the injury that Gleason's talking about. Plating the shins is super aggressive, unless there was a history of this injury repeating itself. So he may end up having a case, but honestly, no matter what, whether he wins or loses or settles and it never goes to trial, like this is just a horrible situation and we should, we should feel badly for him kind of no matter what the trial outcome is. That's brutal. Yeah, that's, you're right. It, yeah, that's 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 fucking. I was reading the ESPN thing as you were talking about it. That sounds absolutely fucking terrible. Oh man, I won't want I won't want my worst enemy to go through what it looks like he's he's went through for the last several years. So, Jesus. And the, like the hard thing about aggressive treatments with athletes is there's a huge incentive, both from a med staff standpoint and from the athlete standpoint, typically to get back on the field as quickly as you can. So I totally get it because the way this injury is usually treated is with aggressive rehab. And that's like a year, two year process. So committing him to that, that also sucks. But so, you know, if you can get a surgical intervention that works, that's great. But so uh, back when I was worth a damn, I presented at a sports med conference with like some of the top docs in the world, people that you would recognize, James Andrews, uh, Neil Elitrash, et cetera. And across the board, these are people who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do surgery. And their recommendation across the board was, if you are doing surgery on a professional athlete, it had damn well better be your absolute last course of treatment. So the fact that it seems like for Gleason, this was a first course of treatment, that does actually kind of seem like malpractice, but obviously we're getting his side of the story and not the defendants. And that's kind of the nature of malpractice. And I won't take up more podcast time with the intersection of legal and medicine, but the ultimate takeaway is that this sucks and I feel 
awful for him. Hey, Dan, uh, you want to pick those up? Pick those one up. You, dropped? you want to pick up those names you just dropped? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, well, let's move on. So we are going to uh, – yeah, so we're going to – we'll go very quickly through these. Cause we talked a little bit very briefly last week about the Eastern Conference groups. Um, Wait, is this a soccer podcast? This is a soccer podcast, yeah. We're just actually- starting, starting just now. It was a medical podcast up until just now. <laughs> So let's talk, we'll talk very briefly, maybe one or two thoughts on the three groups, uh, Group B, Group F, and Group D, the Western Conference groups. Um, nothing, you know, we're not going to spend a shit ton of time. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, the uh, futures. So who, uh, who Vegas thinks might win this thing, assuming, you know, again, this thing goes off as predicted. Um, and then, uh, and then yeah, then we'll, uh, we have a little bit of United news. And then we'll talk about the actual game. We actually – theoretically have a, a match coming up minnesota versus uh sporting kansas city so um that being said group b um seattle Sounders, the aforementioned no longer in the tournament fc dallas and vancouver whitecaps and san jose earthquake so does anybody have any immediate thoughts on group b um other than man seattle's gonna wipe the floor with, with- yeah never count out seattle even if they get off to a slow start yeah. i'll be really interested to see he has not yet but with all that is going on in the bubble Jordan Morris is, is, is a diabetic, um, and that's a huge comorbidity. I would be very surprised if he ends up playing in, in the bubble. I'd be, I, I would assume we will see him opt out within the next couple of days. Yeah, Seattle, is, they're one of the teams that's not there yet, so we have no idea if he's if he, you know, traveled or whatever. So, Yeah. Um, presuming that he's traveled, you know, he's practicing as, as, as with to travel, but with everything that's happened so far, I would, yeah, definitely see him opting out. MJ, do you have anything else you want to add for our group B? No, uh, I. It'll be interesting to see who replaces FC Dallas um, from Group A, and as we've alluded to earlier, that team from Group A is probably not going to be Nashville, but we'll see. Um, kind of be it'd be really convenient if like one other team got something so that we could just do groups of four, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if Nashville's out, so. If, if it stays like this, who do you guys think will be the second team? Obviously, we're all thinking Seattle as the top. I mean, well, I'm, th- I'm, thinking, I'm thinking San Jose would be number two. Yeah. We got, we got predictions coming up in a second, Bill. So. All right. All right. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't step on that. I'm jumping the gun. I, I think it would be actually hilarious if, if Nashville – so let's assume it's Nashville. Nashville gets moved over, and then all yeah. of a sudden Nashville gets kicked out of the tournament. Chicago Fire as a Western Conference team – would be really interesting. Oh yeah, I'd and love it would that. Make it four, you know, make six groups of four would make everything a lot easier. Um, but we'll see. I don't think that's actually ever going to happen. Uh, very quickly, <clears throat> Group F. Group F has LAFC, LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo, uh, Portland Timbers. A um, couple of notes here: Carlos Vela is officially out. He's staying in, uh, staying in with his wife, who's about to give uh, birth to, the, I think, his first kid. Um, LA Galaxy, Jonathan DeSantos has opted out of the tournament. And then Houston, Houston Dynamo, um, Carl, apparently Christian Ramirez is in, uh, in Orlando in spite of his kid um, being due relatively soon during the tournament as well. Um, the one thing about the tournament is you can come, but if you leave, you know, Miami is dealing with this. <clears throat> um, their first overall draft pick, uh, he just left the tournament for personal reasons. And if you leave the bubble, you cannot come back into the bubble um, as part of their 
MLSPA and the MLS approved deal. So um, I would, you know, Christian Ramirez is obviously fighting for playing time. So it makes certainly makes sense for him to be in Orlando uh, personally and professionally, I mean, professionally. Um, it's also his second kid. So I think this is Carlos Vela's first kid. So obviously, you know, I think Vela's very much make, wants to make sure he's there for that. And that's great. Definitely should encourage, you know, people to, you know, parents to be, be there for your kid's birth. It's, it's a, something you'll never forget ever. Um, and it's a great, great experience. So, you know, any immediate thoughts on Group F, uh, LEFC, Galaxy, Dynamo, and, and Timbers? After a lot of uh, rumors and uh, clickbait, uh, Chicharito is is going to be headed with LA Galaxy. Yeah, uh, that's, on, that's... On, on July second that he he's in. Yeah, that is kind of the bigger bigger news. I kind of uh, I kind of buried the lead there. So, who we care is the other question. But Chicharito. <laughs> um, this is the group that, that seems to have the most uh, variability to me. Uh, this, yeah. they, they were a tight group no matter what. LAFC without Vela obviously pulls them back into the pack. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the last interesting piece that I'll highlight is that Houston just went into the bubble, I believe, yesterday. So they were another team that was holding out for a long time before yeah. going in, which is particularly interesting given that Houston is probably worse off than – Orange County, uh, Orange County, Florida, but they haven't had any confirmed cases yet. So more power to them. I'm looking forward to these games. I hope they happen. Yeah, that yeah. that that group is uh, is is tight. I mean, it's as tight as Group D. It should be should be some good matches. Actually, I think I think this group is actually going to be way more fun than Group D if it, if it actually takes place in terms of goals being scored. I think this group is wide the fuck open. And there will be a ton of goals scored in this one. Unlike in Group D, I think Group D is actually going to be very tight. Uh, it's going to be very defensive. Um, you know, 1-0, 1-1, maybe a 2-1 game. I think you could see some 3-3, uh, 2-2 you know, shootouts in, uh, in Group F. So, All right. Moving on to Group D, um, and, we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more specifically about Minnesota and sporting uh, in a second bit here. But we have Sporting Kansas City, RSL, Colorado, and Minnesota United. Um, as I mentioned, I think this is going to be a very tight group. I think this is going to be a very defensive group. Um, obviously, Minnesota losing Icopara for at least the group stage definitely hurts Minnesota's defense. Um, but uh, Sporting Kansas City has had a couple of uh, players drop out, um, either getting uh, in, uh, uh, surgery for injuries. Um, Colorado's looked really good uh, towards the end of last year and then the first two games this year. And RSL is always, you know, just – pesky so you guys have any other sort of just quick immediate thoughts about group d yeah colorado changed so much in the last year i mean a, a huge amount of players like like you know 13 players uh gone from last year's roster 32 goals uh with those 13 players uh compared to you know like 20 with both rsl and minnesota um you know, Kansas City only had, let me see, they had 13 with their, you know, players that left. Um, yet somehow Colorado picked up more depth uh, and probably a better team, which is uh, amazing. Um, most recent loss was uh, former Limson Nicholson, who they recently parted ways with. And uh, Colin Warner is, is back. Yeah. Who did Sam Nicholson go to? Uh, as far as I know, he was just 
uh, there was a mutual parting of the two. So yeah. in all likelihood, I think he probably heads back to Scotland, but I don't think that's formalized yet. Okay, he's just going to a couch somewhere, huh? <laughs> he's, been, he's been rumored with uh, Bristol. Um, okay. Bristol, Bristol City, I believe. So, um, Are they yeah. second or third level? I believe Bristol's in League One, so okay. yeah, second division or second, yeah, second, yeah, third, third, third. Yeah. okay. Uh, MJ, and still, and still, better Bristol City than Bristol Palin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a deep cut. Or or Bristol Meyer. Yeah. MJ, um, did you have something on Group D? No, uh, I. It's uh, the group that Minnesota United's in, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching games if they happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Minnesota. Oh, we'll get to Minnesota here in a minute. Um. All right. So I think now is about the time where we make uh we make some predictions. Um. I'm just gonna actually before we do that, let's. I'm just I'm gonna just let, let you guys know some of the odds right now in in uh, in Vegas. So LAFC is the favorite. Um, these were these were as of uh, I believe yesterday. Um, LAFC is the favorite um, at. Uh, let's see what I done. Yep. Uh, plus five hundred. Um, Seattle second at plus eight hundred. Uh, Atlanta's at plus nine hundred. New York City FC is plus a uh, thousand. Toronto FC is plus fourteen hundred. Miss United is sixth at uh, plus sixteen hundred. Uh, with the Red Bulls and Philadelphia Union also at plus 1,600. And the Galaxy, um, ninth favorite at plus 2,000, with uh, Sporting Kansas City at plus 2,000. So um, that's kind of what the uh, the book- bookmakers are putting uh, putting the odds at. <clears throat> but we are going to make some predictions. Um, I'm going to – we'll see. I'm, we're going to make them, and then we'll figure out if we can actually, like, put these on, on the website, assuming if this tournament actually happens. Um, Gentlemen, let's go through each group, um, and then we're going to say who's going to – the top two are in, in right now in the uh, uh, respect to group A, top three, as well as our wild card teams for, for each group. Um, does that make sense? Yep. All right. So I have these in a Google Doc. Um, group A, um, and uh, just to remind everybody uh, who is in group A, it's Philadelphia. Uh New York City FC, uh, Orlando, Inter Miami, Nashville, and uh, Chicago. Chicago. That's right. I always forget about Chicago because they're very forgettable. Um, so, who do you guys have coming out of uh, Group A? Um, we'll start with. Why don't we start with Dan. So. <clears throat> The two teams that have been the most consistent from last season to this season, uh, Philly and NYCFC. Um, I can kind of go either way with uh, who takes the top spot. I've got NYCFC winning it. If it ends up being Philly, I won't be shocked. Philly, I've got it too. Chicago looked really good uh, in their first two games before the break. So uh, one thing I didn't really factor in and definitely should have was teams that uh, teams that are a little more cohesive. I mean, we've seen this in every European restart. We saw it in the NWSL that the hardest thing to get back isn't any individual skill. It's team cohesion. So I didn't factor that in, probably should have, but I've got a top three of NYCFC, Philly, and Chicago. Um, 
Great. Do you have a, a wild card team coming out of this group or no? Really, I was really tempted to put in Inter Miami. Um, I didn't, so uh, I'm going to say no. But if they get in, I won't say I'm shocked. Do, do they get a wild card? So they can. We were mistaken last week. So if the fourth place team, so they're competing. I was not mistaken. What's that? I you did not know. Yep. So the fourth place team can could get in depending on um, uh, if they have the the best overall points or the, okay. one of the top three overall points of the third place plus the fourth place team from Group A. So yes, they are. That's a possibility. So, um, all right, Bill, who do you got coming out of Group A? So I've got uh, Philly w- winning the group. Um, I think I think I think this is Philly's got a strong team. I think uh, this could be a good year for them. And uh, NYFC, I think, is the only other good team in this group. Um, and just just out of uh, sheer, uh, you know, elimination, Chicago is the other team. Um, I have no wild card team coming out of this group. Right on, <clears throat> uh, MJ. So I'm going to go with and uh, New York City FC as as one Philly union as two as being the obvious and my my dark horse would would be columbus crew Uh, they're not in that group oh uh yeah so yeah i'm sorry i have to go 100 agreement with dan even though i don't want to chicago fire would be my number three all right you cowards you fucking cowards it's philly nycfc orlando and then I have Chicago Fire actually getting a uh, getting a wild card spot because holy Christ! If you look at their their they play both Inter Miami and Nashville. If Chicago can't beat both of those teams and get a get a wild card, um, and I think Orlando squeaks by. So, um, all right, <laughs> moving on. Group B, uh, Group B again. Reminder: Seattle Sounders, uh, no longer FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps, and San Jose Earthquakes. And we're going to for. For for this, we can we'll we'll, we'll reinvent like we'll revisit this if there's a team move here. But um, I have Seattle and San Jose one two in that in that order. Um, is there anything else that's going to happen? I mean, can Vancouver sneak in? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think theoretically, I mean, if you read Taylor Twelman's tweet, then uh, Seattle can't actually play their first game. So who knows what'll <laughs> happen with that? <laughs> Like this, this group is a huge question mark, and it's not even in the sense that like, oh, what will happen if Nashville goes in? Nashville finishes dead ass last. Nashville's going to finish dead ass last in whatever group they play in, unless they play in no group at all. So Seattle's the obvious favorite, um, even without Jordan Morris, if he doesn't, in fact, uh, choose to opt out. The the only interesting question is who's in second place. And honestly, despite Minnesota United absolutely drubbing San Jose back in the before time, they're pretty clearly the second choice here. They are, but they often find a way to step on their own feet. And, uh, and, and that's the way Vancouver could possibly get in. So can they play in a tournament? That's the real thing. Um, and I mean, we, we, we've talked about this a million times, but they play such an interesting style in terms of the aggressive marking style. Does that work better yep. or worse in a tournament setup? Yep. So who you got, Bill? In the Florida heat, that makes you more tired. So sure. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Seattle withdraws out of the tournament. Dallas is already withdrawn. Um, San Jose is going to withdraw out of the tournament. Nashville is going to be <laughs> in a two-team group 
Vancouver beat, is, wins the group over Nashville. If Nashville was in that group. Right. And they don't withdraw. I'm, ho- I'm holding this motherfucker to it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Nashville. Good job. Bill, who you got? <laughs> well, now I want to pick Nashville to win that group. <laughs> <laughs> Since they're not in the group, and I want the whole tournament to fold. Um, <laughs> it makes sense, right? You could pick FC Dallas in Nashville. Yeah. If it folds up. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, I've got, I've got Seattle and San Jose. All right. Uh, group C um, is a uh, Toronto, Montreal, New England, and DC United. Um, Dan, who you got coming through in this group? Dan, you're muted. Um, I've gone back and forth about a million times in this group. Uh, Toronto seems to be the clear favorite. Uh, honestly, we've been over this a million times. I got a Thierry Henry crush a mile long. I think they pull out second place in this group. The impact. Viva, yeah, Viva Canada. Yeah. I got Toronto, then, then New England. Yeah, I've got New England. Uh, I think Bruce Arena knows how to coach in these tournaments. And, uh, and, and New England uh, underperformed last year. I think they can do it. Um, and I think Toronto will come in second. And I think Montreal goes through on a wild card. Oh, I've got New England going through on a wild card. David? Um, yeah, I'm Toronto-Montreal. Uh, I think this is pretty, pretty fucking easy as far as I'm concerned, so – um, yeah, uh, Group D, um, the aforementioned Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, Colorado, and RSL. Uh, I have Sporting Kansas City going first, Minnesota United going second, and Colorado going through as a, as a wild card. I have uh, Sporting Kansas City winning it, um, Colorado taking second, and uh, close uh minnesota going through as a wild card i had minnesota winning this before ike i don't want to say, apparently he didn't opt out i thought he was i thought his injury rehab was an opt out but apparently it's not so uh even though he'll be back in the knockout rounds i've got uh sporting Kansas city winning the group and united finishing second with colorado getting through with a wild card I have Sporting Kansas City winning the group, Minnesota United getting second, and if there's a way for a wild card not to come from this group, I'm taking that. that so is- we all agree RSL is screwed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, MJ, you have no wild cards yet, and we only have two groups left, so. Yeah, I'm just not that committal. That's not how it works. You have to pick some fucking wild cards, buddy. So. Um. Get on it. What are there, four wild cards total? Three. Three. Yep. Um, group E, Atlanta United, uh, FC Cincinnati, the New York Bread Bowls, and Columbus Crew. Uh, me and Dan are pretty much in lockstep here again. Uh, Atlanta first, Bread Bowl second. And I have the Columbus Crew going as the uh, third wild card in this group. Yeah, I think that's my choice too. And that's my final wild card. Uh, Atlanta, then New York, uh, Columbus is wild card. 
right, so I'm the only one who hates Columbus. And honestly, you know what? I'm fine with that. The entire state of Ohio can go eat shit as far as I'm concerned. You know, the only reason I picked I – th- I, th- I thought for sure I was going to pick two Western Conference teams for the wild cards. But the Western Conference teams will just beat up on each other. And, I mean, there's a very real possibility Columbus the, – the hell is real derby is, a, is just a 0-0 draw, which would probably be the, the, the most appropriate thing. But FC Cincinnati is so fucking bad that I feel like Columbus can just, like, put three or four on them. And I think goal differential – they get three points there. Gold differential is going to be a big factor, um, which is why I think Chicago actually gets through too. Um, I think probably they can they can win you know win a game, get a draw, and then you know big goal differential or whatever. So I feel like for the hell is real derby, you can't have a nil nil draw. That's the purgatory is real derby. <laughs> or or maybe that is the hell since everybody else is watching it and it's uh, a hellish yeah match. hell hell for who? Yeah. Um, all right. Finally, Group F, uh, the last group. Um, we have LAFC, LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo, Portland Timbers. As I mentioned, I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be a really fucking fun group. I think there's going to be a lot of scoring. I have LAFC winning this group and Houston coming in second. Wow. I've got Portland winning the group uh, on the principle that they had the least changeover of most of these teams. They play a lockdown style, so that really suits them to a tournament. Uh, LAFC minus Vela still super talented getting second and LA Galaxy getting my third and final wildcard spot. I have uh, LAFC winning it and Portland taking second. All right, MJ? I have LAFC uh, winning it, uh, Portland taking second, and Galaxy as a wildcard. All right, who's your third wildcard, MJ? Uh, just filling that out now. Pick a team, any team. Bring suspense. Pick FC Dallas. Do it. Uh, Be a hero. Let's pick, let's pick, pick uh, San Jose. Chivas. Chivas. San, right. Chivas. San Jose. Good. Good, good, good. The the Chivas United. Chivas Mexico. The mutiny. <laughs> um, all right. So that is so – we, we are now locked in officially. Like, we cannot make any changes to these. We absolutely right. just you, you wrote mine down, didn't you, Dave? Yep, I did. Yep. Okay, in the, thank you. The thank you. So, yep. All right, um, so guys, uh, there's an MLS's back tournament bracket. Um, we uh, we actually I put together a Dave's I know bracket again. This is all this is all earlier today before the uh, um, FC Dallas news. So you can join it uh, when you just put your uh, your your picks in. Join a league, search for the Dave's I know, and then uh, the pin is U four A S L. R-W-S. I'll put that stuff in the uh, in the show notes as well. Um, search for the days I know. U-4-A-S-L-R-W-S. Maybe we'll figure out – I'm going to figure out something to do with uh, some, some free beer from uh, Hop Clouds or something if we uh, – for whoever wins it, assuming this thing actually, actually happens <clears throat> as uh, it's supposed to do. So, all right. Um, and then last but not least, we have – or sorry, second to last but not least, we have uh, some United news. Uh, so Reynoso watch might be back on, uh, ESPN.com reported that, uh, Minnesota United still is in uh, play for Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, Boca juniors, uh, player, um, who hasn't played much for Boca juniors, obviously, uh, with the COVID, but even before was not playing much. So you guys have any, uh, any thoughts on Reynoso watch being back on? Uh, he would be a TAM level player. Yes. Yes. Please. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he, so, and he, was, he would not join until August. He won't join for this. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He, he won't join for this tournament. So, uh, we need a number 10. So, I like the idea. Leave it when he signs on the line. Exactly. Reportedly, Minnesota's offer was substantially below what they offered during the winter. So, not really sure how that works. But uh, honestly, I think. I think this is necroing some old news, trying to get – I'm not blaming anyone from ESPN, to be super clear on that. But I, I flat out don't believe this is happening. Okay. I mean, Minnesota United may have texted me like, hey, what's about Bellow up to? Like, would, would you take notably less? I'm sure that text may have happened, but I don't think this, there's any heat to this fire. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm. All right, and then um, last little bit of United news before we talk about the upcoming game. Uh, Minnesota United put out a, an email at uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon about a watch party at Allianz Field um, for season ticket holders. Uh, in less than half an hour, uh, all the tickets were they – were, they, were, they weren't selling it. They were, they were free to season ticket holders. You could get up to four per person, I believe. Um, they were all sold out in less than half an hour. Uh, the email mentioned that this is going to be – they're going to be situating people in the north end section, so by the beer hall, so sections one to seven, socially distant. So, you know, they could have up to a group of four, and then you'd be six feet away from the next closest group, apparently. Um, masks everywhere, but in your seats. Didn't say anything about food or drink options. Uh, the fact that this sold out as quickly as it did is a little bit disconcerting. Um, I believe the maximum number of people you can have in an uh, outdoor event right now is 250 in Minnesota. So my guess, my guess is that they only sold about 250 tickets for this. Um, which I mean, that would make sense if they sold out within less than half an hour. But uh, but yeah, what is there? What do you guys have any, any thoughts about you know Minnesota United having a uh, watch party when literally bars and restaurants and, and people congregating and yelling at a screen? It's probably the uh, worst possible place to be right now. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, if they can do the social distancing right, but if you're all congregated in the north end by the beer hall, then you're not using the full extent of your social distancing. Well, they'll be in the, they're not, it's not going to be standing. I think it'll be, it'll be seating. It'll be only be seating. I, that's well, no, I, I realize that David, but yeah. are they going to have people who like wait on you? I don't know. I mean, and, I mean and, obviously you don't know that. I mean, that's yeah. rhetorical. I, uh, and you then know, what I, happens if someone isn't wearing their mask? I mean, yeah, you're just in your seats around the people you know and, and stuff like that, and masks aren't required, but someone gets up, walks to the bathroom, go get some drink, you know, are they going to have uh, security guards there to, like, kick you out of the stadium if you're not wearing your mask? I don't know. Good question. Uh, you, you live in St. Paul, uh, David. Uh, yeah. What, what, are the, what are the laws in St. Paul? Like, here in Minneapolis, you have to wear a mask in a business. I believe it's the same in St. Paul. Um, okay. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's, it is, you can, if you're seated someplace, so if you are at the black heart and you are seated, you know, at, at the bar, at your bar stool, six feet away from somebody else, or you're seated at a table with a group of people, um, you can, you can take your mask off. Um, but if you are moving, moving about the space at all, you need your mask on. Unless you're going to the bathroom, even if you're going, like you're walking around, like you, you're taking a phone call, you're stepping outside, you have to put your mask on before you can even, like, you are supposed to put your mask on before you even leave your seat, you know, before you do anything. And that is, so I've watched a couple of games at Blackheart. Um, 
and that's I'm very strict about that. Like I don't if I if I get off my seat, my mask is on before I before I get off my seat. Um, and I've actually bartended a couple of shifts at the Black Heart, and you know I will not have a mask on if I'm just kind of like walking behind there. But anytime I'm going to the tap to pour a beer or or pull something out of the cooler, anytime I get within six feet of a of a customer, my mask is on uh, immediately. And I guess I would imagine that I'm not probably you know, I'm probably the exception in terms of like how diligent I am about, about mask wearing and stuff like that out in public. But um, it seems for the most part, people who have come into the black art for soccer stuff, I haven't been there. I think I was there the first night it opened to hang out with uh, Martin, a few other people. I haven't been back in the evenings, but for all the soccer stuff, people who are showing up for soccer are being very uh, respectful of, you know, wearing masks and, wearing masks when they come into the restaurant or the, the bar, wearing masks when they're leaving, when they're getting up and walking around. You know, I'd imagine the same thing will be true you know, if we have matches. And, and I know you can go to the Blackheart website and get a ticket. Um, Wes is selling, um, you know, selling uh, only a certain, I think it's 25% of capacity for, to watch the match on Sunday. And I, I fully expect, people to be respectful of, of all the rules. But again, it's, you know, you can't personally police everybody. So um, I, and I, you know, it's, it is outside the stadium. So I kind of understand that, but it seems pretty um, considering the dark clouds have, you know, went, went out of our way to like cancel all of our watch parties. We had set up watch parties and set up and or working on watch parties in six different locations help with the number of people that we you know we normally see at the watch party at Blackheart and Ladonia and the Egan Arms who are doing all those places as well as like the three other places and we decided to cancel all those uh last week you know as we were seeing that you know the spread in bars is so is dramatically higher than everybody thought it would be even if people are being respectful and, and doing all that there's still a very real possibility that there could be some COVID spread so did not want to encourage that so yeah, the weird X factor with Allianz is that it's fundamentally outdoors. And so that's, it's where the calculus for how do you want to be around people? How, you know, should you be going to bars at all? I think it's a little bit screwy. I would assume the team's not providing any food options or drink options just because that adds such a factor of, of risk into it, not just for the, the attendees, but for the people serving. I mean, their, their risk goes through the roof. So honestly... I don't know. I was hemming and hawing about this. I'm almost grateful it sold out before I could even make a conscious decision. Probably your highest risk for people who are attending is going to the bathroom. So uh, stadiumpal.com and you can use an external catheter and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, don't that, look that up. It's actually super gross. Yeah, that's that's actually my biggest my biggest concern is I you know, I'm not necessarily concerned about if we even if we had a, a socially distant um, so, you know, even if we, they did, you know, 25% of Allianz, that would be what, about 4,000? Not quite, no, a little more than 4,000, 4,500 people, thereabouts. Um, I could see myself going to that. The problem is, is like waiting in line for any concession, waiting in line for any bathroom, waiting in line to get into the stadium. That is where I think the sort of the biggest transmission risk is. And then obviously it's like, it's also a soccer match, so people are going to be yelling, and spittle will be going out. And now that now we're seeing reports that this is, you know, potentially could be airborne. Um, I saw a, a news article, I think it was earlier, was it today or yesterday, 
that the WHO seems to think it may be transmittable by via airborne now, not just not just droplets and things like that. So, um, so yeah, if we're all going to sit very quietly in our seats at Allianz, not yelling or screaming or anything or singing, cool. But you know what? We're actually that's not going to be what happens. So you know, it makes sense to not you know to be not promoting watch parties and things like that. And the team doing this seems just astronomically stupid. But that's well, just- as as one of two people on this podcast who have smoked weed at Allianz Field, I highly recommend bring your own weed and and just smoke that and and uh, don't buy anything there. Okay, what I'm hearing done. is that uh is that next season Bill's really hoping for a weed stand. I am, I am, David. You're on mute too. I know, I <laughs> I know I'm on mute. I say some things I can't say on the podcast. Which is saying a lot. So we can uh, say anything we want. All right. So let's let's talk about if we theoretically, as we were are having a match uh, on Sunday, uh, we are playing Sporting Kansas City, seven p.m. Uh, on ESPN. Um, as I mentioned, there will be some watch parties. If you're interested in going to a watch party, uh, I believe uh, Lake Monster and, and Blackheart still have tickets available. Um, I'm not sure about uh, Ladonia and Egan Arms. I believe they're still doing it. My guess is reserve a table um, for either of those and that probably will work as well. So um, what, uh, so here's, so here's the line right now. Uh, the, the betting, the, you know, the betting odds have Sporting Kansas City winning this game. Um, over under is three goals with the under being minus 110 over being minus 115. Let's, let's talk about first for, so we haven't really talked about Minnesota United and, and let's, let's hold off and talk about Minnesota United for a second. Let's just, focus specifically on sporting uh for the time being um who's good on sporting kansas city and uh mj let's go to you oh. first uh they picked up a croatian defender by the name of uh roberto uh punches and uh he has experience playing for union berlin for for one um as well as uh a finnish team uh, Rijeka, I believe. So, I don't know. He's got some uh, UEFA Europa experience. Uh, he should help their back line in the, with the absence of the uh, Icopara and the people who didn't work that they brought in for Icopara last year. So, and I really like their number six, Ilya Sanchez, formerly of Barcelona. So, Yeah, um, Dan. What are the players they brought in this offseason to help provide depth for their attack was uh, Gadi Kinda, who had uh, last played, I believe, in Israel. Uh, he wasn't their, their big signing. That was Alan Polito. But through two games, he was clearly the straw that stirred the drink for their offense. Um, got into some really, really good positions. He just seems like a heady player. Uh, a guy who kind of knows where the holes are going to be, uh, doesn't doesn't do a lot of ball watching, does a lot of just really intelligent movement, uh, and had produced a, a fairly high number of their goals, whether through he'd scored a couple of himself, but also uh, had kind of provided either the assist or the hockey assist on a bunch of them. Um, you know, with their attack is getting healthy. They were missing a bunch of players early in the season, so I'm not totally clear what his playing time situation is, but 
for the extent to which you can take two games and extrapolate them out, mm-hmm. I would be very surprised if he doesn't feature for their offense. Um, all right. Well, I mean, obviously you're, you're bearing the lead there with Alan Polito. Alan Polito um, has been brought in. So Peter Vermees ever since uh, Dom Dwyer, um, and even you could even argue Dom Dwyer wasn't quite this cap, cap, capable of a, of a striker, has been looking for a goal-scoring player um, to uh, complement the rest of what he has built at Sporting Kansas City, which is a, you know, a pretty good, you know, last year, notwithstanding a, a juggernaut when it came to making the playoffs. Um, obviously, last year took a hit with losing Ike Opara and then some injuries, um, missed the playoffs for the first time in uh, the long-ass time. And Polito has, you know, he stepped up, he scored goals already for Sporting Kansas City this year and really is, I think, the linchpin. Um, and especially in a tournament like this, and, and a group, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is going to be a very tight group. And I think, you know, the winning team, you know, the team that comes out of this group, you know, in first and second place are maybe only going to have three or four goals between them um, in terms of the number of goals scored. I think it's going to be a very defensive group, which I think definitely bodes well for Kansas City. Um, not as well for Minnesota with the loss of Michael Parra. So um, I would say Alan Polito is definitely the, uh, you know, the good on the good spectrum. Um, Bill? Yeah. Last say here. I mean, Polito is huge. They paid a lot of money for him, so he better produce for them. Um, the other key offseason uh, purchase for them was, was Gadi Kinda, um, an Ethiopian player who played in the Israeli league, and they picked him up. He's on loan. And he has a goal in each of their first two games. Uh, he's a midfielder, and uh, and he shows a lot of promise. Um, and they have a lot of a lot of uh, hope on him. He's he's had some amazing ball movements so far. If you watch the first two games, um, their big problem though is still that back line, um, especially uh, Zusi and Be- and and Beesler. Um, they uh, they're old. <laughs> Um, and last year we took it to him. So it, uh, yeah. Great, great segue to, uh, who sucks? <laughs> yeah. Who sucks? You want to start? You want to start? Beasler was, was, was my number one on who sucks, uh, or at least yeah. compared to what you expect out of a, uh, a older, wiser, uh, use your soccer IQ for the betterment of your team. Uh, you should be a lot better. He had, he really struggled last year. The player I'll pick out of uh, Sporting, who sucks, is Johnny Russell. Uh, he was supposed to be the, the focal point of their attack last year and just could not do it consistently. Um, now, they've virtually replaced him with the aforementioned Kida and Polito, but if uh, in this tournament style, it's somewhat likely that they'll try to rotate those guys out to protect their legs a little bit. It'll be on Johnny Russell to actually be the focal point for an attack, and boy, has he not shown the ability to do that. Yeah, I don't know. In the first two games, I thought I thought Johnny Russell looked halfway decent. Um, he had he had some great ball movement across, and I never liked him either. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, who knows with the right people? Um, I still am really suspect of uh, Luis Martins. I I don't think he's a great defender either. Um, so we'll see there. Um, uh, you know, I I think their midfield is pretty pretty damn solid though. Uh, I think it's just their defense that that is lacking. Um, boy, if they can get their defense back, they're going to be unbeatable for years to come. It's, a, it's really amazing how absolutely abject they were last year, made 
admittedly very good acquisitions, but just a couple of them and have gone from, wow, this team can't beat anyone to, wow, no one can beat this team. Well, they're a team that historically never wanted to spend money. They wanted young players who they didn't, you know, have to spend a lot for. They, they had a lot of homegrown players and, uh, and, and they would, they would sell off players and use that money to buy young players again. And, uh, but they'd keep around older veterans um, who, you know, sure they pay a lot for Zussi and, and, and Beasler, but, you know, they're not paying nearly as much as like Bradley and, and uh, players like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there hasn't, there's not much to say about um, sporting in terms of like the sucking department. Um, other than, you know, right their their defense was absolutely terrible last year. I think uh, part of that was, you know, re- like adjusting to the fact that Ikopara was no longer like, you know, uh, being a stalwart in that back line with uh, with Beasler, um, everybody's a year older. Uh, they obviously lost Felipe Gutierrez. Uh, he had knee surgery. Um, you know, I think probably his original plan was to play through that this year in 2020, and then with the long layoff, um, with the COVID stuff, just you know, it made sense for him to just go in, go under the knife. But you know, as you guys all mentioned, they have a they have a plethora of midfielders, and yeah, if that back four can you know, have some semblance of a cohesion, um, this is going to be a, a really solid team. So that, you know, begs the question is uh, how does Minnesota United, uh, how does Minnesota United play um, Sporting Kansas City? You go at that left side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, go, go at Graham Zussi, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you, you watch that. Uh, um, is it the, at, if you watch their first game, the Vancouver game, I mean, their one goal is, is they beat them on that side and they, they win at that side over and over and they finally got the goal on that side. So, I mean, if some combination of, you know, Gasper, Lud and Molino, uh, Alonzo can do any sort of overlapping runs at all or, create triangles up the pitch, you know, great. Uh, I would, I would like to see them find some space between the back four or if they're not getting back cause they're out of position, maybe the back three and then the, the defensive midfielders or the, the six and the eight, if they can find some space in there to pass or cut, cut, cut in from the wings to the middle. Um, not, not crosses per se, you know, maybe, but, yeah. more dribbles and, and passes on the pitch into that kind of soft spot in between the back line and the, and the midfield and uh, attack attack from there. I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, I think no matter which direction they attack from the real key is don't let sporting have the ball. Uh, they haven't shown a huge profi- uh, proclivity for counter attacking. They seem to want to control possession, pass the ball around, um, return balls through a high press um, and then really poke holes in that defense. So as much as Minnesota United can possess the ball, force them, draw them a little bit deeper and then pass between the lines, I think the better off they are. Uh, Honestly, in this game, I think this is going to be an outstanding game of soccer that neutrals hate. Um, This is also a game that it sucks that they're playing at first 
because if this were the third game, I think the, the defenses would be a little bit more wise. Um, there'd be a little bit more communication in the attack. It would be a much more cohesive game. I can see this game being very stopped and started um, and it really coming down to individual efforts. So it's hard to bet against a team that has a Gotti Kinda and an Alan Polito. At the same time, Kevin Molino's healthy again. And he's shown the ability to really cut around defenders. We haven't really seen the best of Luis Amaria. So uh, it, it could very well be a situation where a lack of game tape on some of our attackers really works to our advantage. Yeah. One other game plan. Uh, Ozzy Alonso going right at Roger Espinoza. I mean, that, yeah. guy, that guy's known to get red cards. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a terrible idea. Can I just say, I'm so glad you said that, Bill, because when we were going over who sucks, I so much wanted to focus on the back line like you did with Zussi and Beasler. I was like, someone please say Roger Espinosa. Oh, he's awesome. But, uh, but he, he, yeah, but he, he is also a hothead. That, you know, he is. <laughs> very, very reckless fly tackles. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we haven't really talked too much about Minnesota United. Um, before we, we jump into our predictions uh, for this game and for the rest of the, the the theoretical games that might happen starting on Wednesday or might not happen at all, um, what do we expect from Minnesota United in terms of how the team is going to play? Um, obviously, you know, last year our big focus and, and one of the you know main reasons that we were as successful as we were was um, our defense and was our um, you know the fact that we went from one of the league's worst teams in, in, in possibly the worst defense ever, um, you know, shout out FC Cincinnati to being one of the better defenses them also last year <clears throat> and vice versa. Kansas city went from being one of the stingiest defenses to being the second worst defense uh, in the league last year. I think second only to FC Cincinnati um, where we don't have Ike Opara. That is a, that's, that's known. Um, seems like everybody else is in Orlando though. Um, so, and we don't have, we obviously don't have Brent Coleman for the first, uh, first three matches for the group stage because he's still serving his, his suspension. What does Minnesota United look like? Um, aha. Is there not much difference other than aha playing? And we, and we're obviously, we're, you know, we're obviously very, uh, limited, uh, in our, um, with, without a par and without Coleman for the first three games, we're very much limited in our center back position. So what do you guys expect to see from Minnesota United in terms of, I mean, obviously, I think formation's not going to change much, but, you know, who we expect to see out there. So, Actually, I, Go ahead, MJ. I expect, obviously, to have, have Boxall and Aha in, in, in the starting center-back positions. And then I think you have to have uh, James Musa, who can play either, like, come off the bench as a, as a sub for Aussie or, or a, a center-back. And that's how, how the, the center backs subbing is going to be working. And that's, that's our depth chart right there. Yeah. I think until we get uh, Brent Coleman back from suspension, actually I will be surprised if they go with four at the back. I think they'll move into a three, five, two. Uh, Cause you just can't get into a situation where Ozzy, Ozzy is not the healthiest player on earth. So you always want to have a good sub option for him. And that's probably James Musa. So if you lose Boxy to or, or Aha to a bad challenge, all of a sudden your defensive sub option is gone. So I think you go to a three-five-two uh, with three at the back. Uh, you use Dotson potentially as one of the wing backs, somebody who can really bomb up and down the field and play two ways. As far as who they go to on attack, 
I don't think that changes that much. I think you're still going to use uh, young Gregoosh to dribble the ball up, really hold possession, uh, looking for Ethan Finley through two games. So you know, it's obviously a super small sample size, but the, the understanding between Finley and Amaria seemed to be really, really good. So I won't, won't be surprised if we see that three-pass sequence or two-pass sequence, three-player sequence become the, the foundation of the attack. So going from Jan Grayush in the midfield to Ethan Finley in the attack to Luis Amaria shot on goal. Yeah, oh, so so uh, four games last year without uh, Ike Opara, we gave up 10 goals. <laughs> wow. Um, but we were two and two. Um, no ties. Um, it, uh, and so, you know, it, it, Coleman played both of those games. Um, all I can say is that, uh, Tyler Miller could have the game of his life against Kansas city. Yeah. That would help. Um, but Kansas City likes to push as far forward as possible, and that's what they've done the last, you know, uh, pretty much every time they've played us. Um, and uh, and and we have a really hard time of any team that does that to us. So um, that's that's going to be the thing. Ken Adrian Heath coach. Um, so that's that's our weakness. Is do we have somebody who can coach? So if we could sub that position in. Hmm. Um, yeah. www.heathout.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a uh, it's that, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with Dan. I, I've never liked when we play three across the back, but I don't see a big, I don't see a chance. I, I don't, you know, I've looked at AHA's, uh, stats across, you know, with Orlando, who else did he play for? Did he play for San Jose? And uh, just not good. I don't know. Dan said three across the back. I got rock hard, so let's yeah. fucking go. <clears throat> All right. Um, that being said, so we'll, we'll actually, you know, theoretically, assuming, again, everything happens and, and uh, there's not uh, teams, more teams kicked out of this tournament and everything progresses, we'll actually have uh, – We'll have our first Minnesota United game to talk about in four months, guys, uh, this time next week. So that should be really, really fun. Um, so before we jump into our picks for the week, um, who do we think is going to win this game? Uh, or how do, you, how do we think the game is going to go, the Minnesota United versus Sporting Kansas City game? The fact that United's a favorite in this game by betting odds is a little bit screwy to me. Uh, I don't see any reason not to bet on SKC. Uh, that's where your better odds are. And frankly, they're more probable to win. Um, if United has a chance in this game, it's in a shootout. You know, it's winning. very, very close. The, the, the odds, it's not, yeah. Sporting Kansas City, like Minnesota is barely favored, barely favored, I would say. So, I mean, it's true, but they are favored. So, I mean, it could easily be a minus 100, minus 100, draw to plus 200 or something yeah. like that. But the, the bookies have made their pick and it's a nudge towards Minnesota United, which, hey, we should be celebrating that. Um, yeah. if as a combo bet, if you're going to bet Minnesota United, bet the over, uh, or SKC outright, if I'm throwing money at this, it's an SKC outright win. Yeah. 
Dan, this is not, but I, I like your analysis, but this is not a, uh, where do you want to bet your money? This is who do you think will win? I think SKC. Um, I think Vermees is a more versatile coach. Um, one of the complaints that we've all had uh, at times throughout Adrian Heath's tenure is that he seems to have a plan and come hell or high water, he's going to stick to it. Um, this most frequently manifests itself with the 70th minute sub. It doesn't matter if that sub should have come on 20 minutes ago or at half or 15 minutes into the first half when it was clear that the game plan wasn't working. 70th minute sub. Um, and by the way, he now has five to work with. So it'll be really interesting to see if he sticks to that philosophy or if he learns learns that you can actually make subs in minutes that start with twos or threes. Um, and I think for me, probably water there. breaks too. So he'll have water breaks to inflict his Heathisms on, on everybody. So, so at, at least in this game, I give the nod to Vermees. I feel like in almost every league that I've watched carefully since the restart, it, I don't want to say it comes down to coaching because flat out it comes down to what the players do on the field. But the teams that are really dominant are, yes, unbelievably talented. They usually have a singular talent that changes the game. But there's also a an element of do you have a coach that understands that these games are fundamentally different uh, and, and can adapt their philosophy to that? And I can say nice things about Adrian Heath. I typically don't, but I'm capable of doing so. But adaptability isn't one of his selling points. All right, Bill, who you got? Um, I've got Kansas City winning it. Um, you know, I – I hate to beat up on Minnesota, but I, I think it's going to be five, two. Um, you know, I, the, the thing I fear is that they're going to, they're going to score on us early. Um, you know, that's always been our Achilles heel is we give up the early goal. And I think they're, and I think he knows, I think for me, for me, eh, Peter knows that. And, uh, and, and he's going to come right at us with that. Um, so um, and he he won't know how to adjust because um, he doesn't coach. He just comes out with a game plan, like Dan said, and he just sticks with that no matter what. Um, All right. MJ. I guess I'm the voice of hope and dissent here. I'm picking uh, Minnesota United win a close one. All right. Any particular reason? It does really hinge on the, to me, whose back line is worse. And uh, you could make arguments e either way um, that that we have a, a, I creates a bigger gaping hole, um, both from a leadership standpoint and from a defensive standpoint, than, than their big holes. And, uh, you know, Matt Beasler um, being there but not being very effective at center back. Uh, I just – think that with Ozzy, assuming he gets the captain's armband and is running the show, that when whatever formation Heath puts out there, that we can organize some sort of de defense in spite of Heath. Um, so, again, more voice of hope than, than rationale. That's, no, that's all right. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, Dan zigged, MJ zigged. I'm gonna zig back. I'm gonna say a draw. I'm gonna say, um, but I'm gonna. I'm with Dan. I think uh, 
I think this is a uh, high-scoring game. Um, I think something like two-two or three-three. So, if I was a betting man, I would uh, I'd bang the over and I would uh, I would bang the draw, which is a plus two sixty. So, win a lot more money that way. So, um, all right. So let's uh, so before we wrap up, and we're, we are going to wrap up very quickly. I know this has been a long, long podcast, even though we've been trying to keep it very tight. Uh, what's uh, let's go through and uh, pick games uh, for the first this first week here. Uh, with the assumption again that these are all going to happen, um, if everything comes out tomorrow, we may just scrub this out of the podcast. But we have uh, a bunch of games, uh, eleven games. There are ten games actually. Now that FC Dallas is out of the tournament, um, first game: Orlando City versus Inter Miami. Dan, who you got? I got uh, Miami winning one nothing. MJ, uh, I have uh, Miami winning two one. Bill. I have uh, Orlando one nothing. All right. I also have Orlando winning. I don't. I didn't put on a score. So, um, Nashville SC versus Chicago Fire. Dan, who you got? Not happening. <laughs> um, on the off chance it does, I think the Fire roll this one uh, two or three nothing. All right, MJ, who you got? Uh, I really like uh, the favored Chicago on, on the uh, on the betting lines, but I'm picking a draw one one. Bill. Um. I've got a Chicago 2-0. All right. I also have the fire. NYCFC versus Philly. Dan. Um, my gut says it's the shootout, and I got NYCFC uh, winning 3-2, uh, predicated on a really solid performance from Bear. MJ. I also have uh, New York City FC, not as many goals scored, winning 2-1 over Philly. Bill. I have a draw, 1-1. All right. I have Philly winning that game. Uh, Montreal versus New England. Dan. I got New England winning this 2-0. MJ. New England winning 2-1. Bill. New England 2-1. I have a draw. Uh, Toronto FC versus DC United. This is games on the 10th. Uh, I, this one may or may not happen, just given the, the transportation restrictions, the fact that Toronto isn't in the bubble yet. If it does happen, I think TFC roll this game 3-0. MJ? I think they roll 2 0. Bill? This is going to be our first big score, I think. It's going to be Toronto 4 1. All right. I also have Toronto winning this game pretty handily. Uh, Seattle, San Jose also on the 10th. Uh, Dan, who you got? I got Seattle winning this 3 1. Easier if Morris plays, but even if they don't, they're rolling San Jose. I also have Seattle at three, winning 3 to 1. Bill? I have uh, Seattle. 2-0. Yeah, so Seattle. Uh, Atlanta United versus the New York Red Bulls on the 11th. This is the game I am least sure of. Uh, we haven't really seen Atlanta playing without Joseph Martinez in the attack. Um, I still think they put it together and beat Red Bulls. I got them up 2-1. MJ. I really wanted to pick another draw here, like a 2-2 draw or something like that, but I'm going with Atlanta 2-1. Bill? Uh, Atlanta... Um, three, two. All right. I have the Red Bulls winning this game. Uh, <laughs> Hell's Real Derby, FC Cincinnati versus Columbus. Uh, Dan, who you got? This is a track meet. Uh, these games were fun as hell last year. I think they're going to be great again this year. Uh, so I got Columbus winning this four, two with, uh, you're going scoring both of, uh, FCC's goals. Ooh. MJ. I have, I have crew rolling two, nothing. Bill. I have the crew winning. The fans losing. 
I have everybody losing in a uh, in a draw. So uh, we did our sporting Minnesota uh, RSO versus Colorado, the uh, last game on the twelfth on Sunday the twelfth. Uh, Dan, who you got? I got Colorado winning two uh, nil. Uh, the real question mark to me is whether RSL can integrate some of their offseason acquisitions uh, and and maybe put their attack into place. But they certainly hadn't in the first two games of the season. MJ, I have questions about uh, Colorado integrating their offseason acquisitions. So I only have them winning one nil. Bill, I have Colorado two one. Uh, I have a draw in this game. I think, uh, again, I think this is both these, uh, all four of these teams are going to like play each other to like 1 1, 0 0, you know, maybe a 2 1 victory somewhere. Um, so I have a draw in this match as well. So, um, all right. So that brings us to the end, guys. <laughs> wow. This is going to be a long podcast. I don't think it'll be quite the three hours that we've been recording. I'm going to edit it down a bunch but it's long. So thank you for sticking around. Uh, thank you for sticking around with us. If you've been listening to the podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, Dave's I know.com is the website, patreon.com backslash the days I know, uh, or just heathout.com If you, uh, if you want to just, you know, get to our website without remembering um, a couple other letters, uh, the days I know dot substack.com. I'm at TDIKMN, TDIK, or no, sorry, I'm not at TDIKMN. The podcast is at TDIKMN on Twitter. Dan's at D Wade. MJ's at MJ Matsui at Bill underscore McGuire. I'm at Texas Eller. I want to say big thanks again to uh, Zach Binney. Um, I forgot his uh, Twitter handle. Dan, do you know it off the top of your head or? Uh, Z Binney underscore NFL INJ. Yes. Uh, thank you to Zach for uh, joining us. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening guys. Uh, hopefully we'll have something to, like we'll have a, a match to talk about uh, next Monday. Otherwise we'll be talking about uh, how this uh, whole shit show went to, uh, went to pot. So uh, thanks for joining us. See you in the day too. This is Land here become fecund Yeah uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son Through the act we attract two Hope to reach one uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing Do it do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. Nah, y'all